Hello, and welcome to The Ready Room. I'm your host, Richard Frederick. Have you ever felt that your life doesn't truly represent what you feel you were meant to be? Have you ever dreamed of quitting your job to go and pursue your true passion, only to come to your senses, as it were, and realize that you couldn't possibly make such a leap without risking the alienation of friends and colleagues or the possibility of leaving you or your family in financial ruin. What if I told you that with a little planning, by surrounding yourself with the right people, and maintaining a healthy sense of pragmatism, you could get to that place you want to be? My guest today is Joe Batista. Joe is the author of The Power of Pragmatic Passion, Seven Common Sense Principles for Achieving Personal and Professional Success. Joe is a coach, literally, in that he was the head coach of the Penn State University men's hockey team for 19 years, during which time he led his team to six national championship titles. But he is also a life skills and success coach, a mentor, and a professional speaker who has spent his immensely successful career transforming organizations and empowering individuals. From Penn State to the head office of the NHL's Buffalo Sabres and to his current work with the National Athletic and Professional Success Academy. Joe has made a lifelong commitment to helping others reach their highest potential. His life's work is to help individuals create their true passion and in so doing, live a life filled with purpose. So without further ado, I give you Joe Batista. Well, Joe, thank you so much for being here. I, I, you know, I don't. I am so excited. Uh, so, uh, when I first was uh, thinking about doing this project, I reached out to you. You remember that phone I call? Do. I absolutely do. And it, I reached out to you because, as you know, you were you were good friends with my my father. Now that he's gone, I I kind of thought about all this, and I thought, who can I talk to? That will give me the kind of sage advice that my dad used to give me, and I and you you were the guy that I was like I got to call coach, and so uh, I hadn't even read the book yet, um, but I just knew uh, that you would be the kind of guy to give me that advice. So thank you, welcome, well, welcome thank, to the thank red you. room. I can't tell you what that means to me. Uh, as you know, your dad was uh, everything, uh, to, you know, that a friend and a mentor and a, a brother you know, was supposed to be in life, and he was taken from us way too early, uh, unfortunately. But uh, some of the, my, my best memories of, of being uh, at Penn State and in State College are of uh, your dad and I and friends that we shared, family that we all got together, and, uh, you know, just an amazing human being. And the impact that he made on me and, and my life and my family uh, you can't pay for that uh, in any way, sense, or shape. I mean, it, it's just uh, tough, you know, when I think about those walks along the golf course. That's what I miss the most. I mean, just, you know, we, we weren't even keeping score. We didn't care if we played well or not. Every now and then you'd hit a good shot, but it was the conversation um, and solving all the world's problems as we pretty much figured we, you know, if they just put us in charge, We'd have had everything figured out. 
So, so I'm already emotional, and we we haven't even gone five minutes into this. I, I can see I, I I can see you guys walking on the golf course and talking. You know, how, yep. my dad just he just loved golf, and yeah. all he wanted to do for the rest of his years was was golf and share moments with friends and family. Right. And he got what six years basically of, of retirement, yeah. and so but man he. He talked about your times together all the time, yeah. all the time. And you know what I regret is I'm I'm not much of a golfer. I don't rep golf. <laughs> you saved yourself a lot of frustration. Uh, well, let me tell you. As, as, as anybody that's ever played the game knows, it is a good walk <laughs> spoiled, and uh, it costs a lot of money. But you know, it was uh, you're out in nature, yeah. right? You're you, you know you you go along at kind of your own pace, and you're not too too rushed. But you got to kind of keep going because especially if there's other people. But we. You know, we were lucky at Sky Top Mountain that, you know, it was just this gorgeous scene. You know, you're you're out in the woods. Uh, you got the, the creek going by you down at the bottom there. Uh, you know, you'd see a black bear every now and then. You'd see a fox, lots of deer. I mean, it was just this idyllic you know, setting for us. And that's why, like you said, I, you know, and, and most of the time it wasn't us going to play some tournament or anything. It was the nine holes. Yep, yep. We walked on a Sunday afternoon yep. and it, the minute the weather turned good enough in the spring, we started and we went until we couldn't, you know, I would say that even, handle the, I would the, say that even before the weather turned good enough, you <laughs> yeah. guys, you remember, I remember dad and you going out and I'd be like, you went golfing the other day. It's like, yeah, you know, it's good enough. <laughs> it was, it was, you know, the, as long as the wind wasn't too yeah, bad, I mean, <laughs> if it was 35 degrees out, we'd, we'd find a way to play golf as long as the wind wasn't blowing. Yep. I remember that. That's awesome. Yeah. And it is an idyllic place. Well, Joe, um, you know, the, the book, I, I have to tell you, it came to me at the perfect time. Um, my dad had just passed. I just retired from the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took that job flying mercenary spy missions back over in the Euphrates River Valley. And I'm thinking, you know, and, and I'm away from my kids for months at a time. And it was a really low point. Now, they were paying me well, but it. And we'll talk about that because yeah. you talk about it in the book. Yeah. But it was not worth it, even with the large paycheck for me. And I remember thinking, this can't be right. This can't be what I'm meant to do. It was I, – I, I was, I guess, probably a little depressed. If I'm honest with myself, I was like, hey, this, this isn't how I'm meant to be. And it was coming out. It was affecting who I was, especially as – or most importantly, as a husband and a father. And I was like, my, my wife and kids aren't getting the best me. That's when I reached out to you. I opened up your book and I read it, and it is it is just such a positive, positive message, Joe. So thank you. I I really have to thank you. It's a great, great book, and anyone listening out there, the power of pragmatic passion. I highly recommend it. Awesome book, and for me, you. I was one of those. You mentioned several people who the book sort of speaks to, and one of them was older guys who are. In that transition, transition from retiring from, you know, I did 24 years in the Marine Corps. That's who I was. Right, right. And, it, and it's been really great. That's how I came to be doing this right now. Um, and it's sort of a side hustle because I'm doing it pragmatically. Right, And right. so I guess let's talk about the, the, the title itself, The Power of Pragmatic Passion. Those two words, and you address it several times in the book, seem to be sort of 
uh, at opposing ends, right? Right, right. Uh, Reach for the stars, but keep your feet on the ground, right? And some people would probably say, oh, those things are uh, opposed to each other. Yeah. So address (laughs) that. Talk about that. Yeah. And and anybody that knows me knows I'm as passionate as they come. Uh, Over the top passionate at some point in in my career. In the best way, by the way. Well, thanks. I mean, I'm not sure all of my hockey players would agree (laughs) with that. But uh, I I was a very animated coach. Uh, I I live with my heart out on my sleeve. um, And sometimes I did. I tended, you know, to go overboard. And um, but I was also the first person to come back and say, hey, I'm sorry. Uh, That's that's on me. You know, I just uh, was caught up in the moment, whatever. But I I started as I got older to realize, you know, uh, it's not just about passion alone. It's not. I had that enthusiasm. I have that fire in my belly. I have that charisma. But in and of itself, it's not sufficient. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient. So what's the piece that was missing you know, you have all this passion, all this energy. I knew I was meant to do something, even myself, which is why I was inspired to write the book, because I had spent all that time in intercollegiate athletics, professional athletics, in higher education, and suddenly reached a point in my life where I said, is this it? Is this all I'm meant to do? Or, you know, is there some greater purpose out there? Now, I, I felt like I've got all this knowledge, all this experience that I've, good and bad, um, that I'd like to share with other people to see if I can help them avoid some of the pitfalls that I went through, um, understand the sacrifices that are necessary to make in order to achieve some of the successes in life. Because I've, I've just looked at what's going on right now, and I think, you know, we, every, all around us, it's just find your passion. Just do what you love, you know, and the money will follow. Build it and they will come. And I keep saying, you know, if it were that simple, Bart, everybody would do it, yeah. right? And it's not. And so that that's where the pragmatic piece came in. It's the keep it real. You know, I, I, I right on the cover of the book, dream big, keep, keep it, it real, real, get it done. And all three of those things are necessary. That's the point. That's why you need the passion. You need that pragmatic piece. Oh, and by the way, you need the power because you can have a, a great idea. You can have a purpose. You can have a passion. You can even come up with a great plan. But if you aren't willing to have the courage and you don't have the confidence in yourself to go get it done, that's the power, you know, that energy, that discipline, that determination, then it's just going to remain a dream. Yeah. And, you know, so everything about this is what I've gone through in my life, the stories that I've learned from other people, the stories I've experienced, and I just wanted to be able to share it. I am having an absolute blast you know, doing this. I was just at a book signing in New York City yesterday, um, and it was uh, just tremendous. And everywhere I've gone, the book has been well-received. And at first, I thought maybe I wrote it too generically. It's too big of an audience. And everybody kept saying, you need to tighten up your market and that sort of thing. And I started to realize, just like you said, that it's for anybody in a life transition. So if you're in high school getting ready to go to college or technical school or to the military, whatever that might be, you're a college kid, you're halfway through school and all of a sudden you go, well, this isn't what I want to do. It's not the end. It's not. It doesn't mean what you've done up to that point isn't you know uh, important. And then 
for people that are in midlife career crisis mode. And then anybody that's that's going to be a retiree, we're all going to get there at some point. Yeah. And you want to do that encore career. That's that's probably been the biggest surprise to yes. me is that retired uh, segment of the population that has picked up the book, got it for their kid or their grandkid and said, wait a minute. Uh, this resonates with me, and that was kind of a, a surprise to me that it that it's done so well with uh, the retirees. And I think what'll happen is maybe they're going to read it and then maybe pass it on to a grandchild or, you know, to a child who has kids of their own that they're trying to help them steer. That's what I hear when I'm signing books here. Oh my, my son's going through a kind of a midlife crisis. He could really use this book. My daughter, you know, her kids, you know, need to see this. And then it's, you know, I got this grandson or a niece or a nephew, whatever it might be. And they, they could really use, they need some, you know, uh, riverbanks in their life. You know, they're just kind of flowing right now, wherever they want to go. And, uh, if I can do that, if I can be that person that helps inspire them, helps keep them, you know, on the kind of the straight and narrow, then then let's let's more power to it. And you know, as, as you've learned now, you don't need to ask me a lot of questions, and I will ramble. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I have that same gift, and so I'm 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 actually I have to kind of hold back a little bit sometimes. But um, you know, and and what you just said, a couple of things really stood out. So one was was purpose and. Uh, I've talked with several of my my friends about sort of, and, and we're all sort of in that same point of life. We've been Marines, um, we're coming to the ends of our careers, or we are at the end of that career. And, and in talking, one thing sort of seems to come out a lot, especially with, with men, I think. I, I, although I, I imagine women share the same sort of thing. But, they do. But more, more along the lines of, of this, which is no matter how successful – some of my friends are, and they, and some of them are super successful. Where I'm like, wow, they all seem to have that. They, we all seem to have that existential sort of space where we're like, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? And it leads to, I think, especially in today's day and age, this anger. And I'm not talking about anger where you're, you know, throwing chairs through windows. It's this inner anger that kind of burns. It's like, you know, this isn't, you know, life. Life isn't fair right now. What, what, what's going on? The, things aren't the way I want them to be. Even though there are, those things may be something that they, they can't even control. It's out of their control. But we internalize it and we act like it's all on us. And I think that comes from or maybe it's just exasperated by in a, great, uh, a great deal by not really knowing if you're living your purpose. Yeah. So what, well, how many people who teaches you that? Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it, it's I you mentioned success, your friends who are successful. Well, how do you define success? Right. And, and that that's where I start in the book is, you know, before you go down all these different paths, what what is the definition of success to you? Yeah. You know, society tells us uh, the bigger house, the more successful, the nicer car, the more successful, the bigger your bank account. Successful. I say it in the book. There's tons of wealthy people, celebrities, entertainers, professional athletes, live some of the most tragic lives you can imagine. And if that's our measure of success and it's only that, well, then shame on us because to me, it still gets back to I, I, don't, I don't think it is about – does my you know bank account so far exceed you know anybody else's? Yeah. No, matter of fact, 
I feel sorry for some of those people that, sure. that, that the ones who have it and don't share of it. You know, I was fortunate enough to be around Terry and Kim Pagula, yeah, who yeah. are some of the most philanthropic, giving, kind people yes. you will ever— The way you talk about them in the book, I would love to meet them. They sound like great They're just—you know, Terry, when he walked into the original meeting where he gave us the, the largest gift in the history of Penn State University, amazing. you know, everybody else was in suits and ties. Terry came in his jeans and, uh, you know, flannel shirt and his tennis shoes and kind of looked and said, hey, I guess I didn't get the memo. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just that down to earth. Yeah. And um, the way I would describe him is, is common sense uh, personified. You know, he, he, he just gets a sense of people and of, of things. He is an expert in his field. And that goes back to, you know, you can be anything you want to be, you know, and just do what you love and the money will follow. Well, the caveats I put in the book are, well, yeah, the money will follow if you become a master of your craft. Yeah. You have to have an expertise. Then the money will follow. Yeah. Okay, so if you want to be a musician, you want to be a, an actor or an actress, you think you're going to play professional sports like I did, you know, and, you know, sooner or later, the reality kind of is there that either you have the talent and the ability and in those alone, again, aren't enough, then will you have the work ethic? Are you willing to make sacrifices? All those things. That's the only way to be, quote, successful. And even then, it doesn't mean if you don't have your house built on that strong foundation, if it's just built on sand, as the good book says, you're, you're, you're going to waver. Yeah. You know, and if, you know, in, in, in sports vernacular, it goes back to blocking and tackling. If you're not taking care of those fundamentals, you really are. At some point, you, you may get all the, accumulate all this wealth. But if you don't have any real values, you're either going to squander it, like people that win the lottery. We know the the science behind the research shows, right, that they don't hang on to it and they don't end up living happier lives as a result. That's right. And, and, you know, or, you know, does it mean, you know, if you're going to just hang on to it and be selfish, does that – now you become Ebenezer Scrooge, you know. (laughs) And to me, success really becomes about living a meaningful, purposeful fulfilling life and bringing joy to yourself and others. And, and so if we start with that premise, you know, then what, what kind of decisions would people make that would lead them down a different path and say, if all they're doing, if the only way they're grading themselves is by the amount of money they make, well, I, I feel that's very shallow. That's just me. Now, again, there's people out there that are going to disagree with me, and I get that. That book, you know, my book's not for that person. Maybe the book is for the people who are looking for that yeah. purpose, that have a passion and just don't know what to do with it, you know, or are still in that stage in their life where they're trying to figure out, you know, what is that? When I hear people say, "Find your passion," I say, "What are you?" going to, you know, Easter egg hunt out there, like you, you go find it under the couch and it, no, you got to experiment. You got to try things. You, you learn to be courageous. You step outside your comfort zone and it may take iterations before you ever figure out and create yeah. what your passion and eventually your purpose in life is to be. And, and you're, you're no different than so many other people in your, because when you were in the military, you believed in your purpose. You may not, not, now you take a step back at this stage of your life and maybe you're not sure it was, but while you were doing it, you believed it, right? And it kept you going. 
you grind it, and even once you maybe realize, eh, there's more to it than this. Yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, if I'm honest with myself, I, I don't know if I, if I was, if I believed that the Marine Corps was my purpose. I probably never felt that way. It's probably why I'm not, you know, a general right now. Um, <laughs> because at some point, I, 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 I was too, uh, you know, what we talked about this on one of our conversations. Right. That, that MB, that, that Myers Briggs thing. Yes. I, I, it was an eye opener for me. You, I think you said the same thing, right? I, yeah. I remember getting that, that, that readout and reading it, it's like 20 pages, right? And, yeah. and, and every page, I was like, uh, just aghast. I was like, this is me. I don't understand right. how this, and you know. And imagine the, the, if you would have gotten yes. that when you were 18. Exactly. When you were 28, when you were 38. Well, this is exactly <laughs> what I'm getting at, which is kind of what this book is, which is a, hey, think about these things because you're making decisions that you're, that you're probably not truly understanding. Right. You know what I mean? So, and here's the thing. The digital de- distraction devices, otherwise known as the smartphone. Yeah. Well, you uh, talk about digital detox. And yeah. That's a, that's and, a good and, segue. Yeah. And I do want to make sure that, I, that I'm that i clear on that. And I, you, you know this. I'm not saying not to use digital yeah. devices. You know, I'm not, you know you, <laughs> it, it would be the same as telling Henry Ford to get off his Model T and get yeah. back on his horse. Yep. They're here. That's right. They're not what we are. Well, look what we're doing. What we're challenged yeah. with is finding a way to use all this technology in in the ways that are going to make it beneficial for others yeah. and 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 to uh, have a, a growth mindset within you know for us so how do we do that take take out your, i tell people you know take out your smartphone and plug it in right now that you are going to do a you review four times a year so do it quarterly just like a business heck if you want to do it monthly that's up to you if you only want to do it semi annually well, okay, and by all means, it has to be at least once a year. Uh, you know, you sit down and do your taxes. You you do all these other things. You look at your insurance policies. You'll review all these things, but you won't sit down in a quiet place when it's just you. Maybe some instrumental music in the background, you know, to kind of just keep things calm. But it's you and just your thoughts and figuring out okay. Am I where I want to be? Is this what I'm supposed to do? Um, have I done the things I said I was going to do? And if not, why? Yeah. So you start writing those things down. So it starts with putting it in your smartphone that on, you know, whether it's September 1st, you know, January 1st, whatever. Pick it, put it in there and schedule yourself a three to four hour time period and get out your sheet of paper and sit down and write down, okay, here's all the things that I'm doing. Here's the things I said I was going to do. Where's the disconnect? And, or am I on the right path? You know, and the, the beauty of it is if you make mistakes, so what? That's how you grow. Yeah. That is how you learn. And so I, I, I think that these are, I try to give practical examples of what to do. And to me, it gets back to you hold yourself accountable by writing this stuff down because if you do not write it down it won't get done yeah yeah you're right i mean as soon uh, studies have shown that time and time again right it, make a list and all of a sudden it becomes more concrete if you just say it to yourself and kind of put it in the back it won't happen well especially if you write it down 
and you share it with someone. Oh, yeah. So that's a big part of what I talk about in the book. So you write it down, you sign off on it, now you give it to your accountability partner, your pragmatic passion partner, as I call it. And that person's job is to hold your feet to the fire. And so if if you're doing me, you're going to sit down and say, Joe, your your, you review is due... You know, in a couple of days, what, what, you know, how's that coming along? Are you ready? Have you, have you taken some time to get your act together and get ready for this so you can make that meaningful and, and purposeful? Otherwise, you're just checking the box. Sure. Right. And that's, we, we do that way too often. We don't do the deep dive because we're afraid sometimes. I don't think right? some people, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm like, man, I don't, I think a lot of people probably don't know how to do a you review. Even if they thought, thought, hey, this is a good idea, they'd sit no. down and they would look at those same, probably those same data points that don't actually mean anything in terms of our happiness or our passion. And they'd be like, just like you said, okay, let's meet with my financial guy. You know, how are my finances? They'd probably think, okay, am I, I wanted to get a promotion at work or I wanted to buy a new – the kind of things that we know are adaptive in our mind that we that will not bring us long-term happiness. Right. And I'm going to guess that a you review is more about the spirit. It Absolutely. Well, it, you know, I always go back to what the ancient Greeks talked about a rete. And, yeah, you know, yeah, it's the perfect blending of body, uh, mind, and spirit. And, you know, you, you need to be healthy. You need to be physically healthy. You need to be mentally healthy. And you need to be spiritually healthy. Kind of like um, the three priorities? Uh, yes. <laughs> Moral, <laughs> so, mental, physical? Th- there you go. And, and you, so, again, you have to have a code, right? There, really. And, and how many people don't have that? You know, in the Marine Corps, that's so one many of the things the that, 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 you know, and I got that from being around because I was never in the military. And it's one of the biggest regrets for me. The closest I came to being in the military was that I taught and coached at Culver Military Academy yeah. out near South Bend uh, where, where Ming used to hang out there. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, that's Ming hangs out and pretty much all over the world. I'm, I'm, I live vicariously through him sometimes. So. Well, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm looking around this room yeah. and I'm, I'm just blown away. Like I'm, I'm, I, I, I love, first of all, I'm a huge science fiction yeah. fan. And like, I walked in here and it was like, this is like candy store. Yeah. The first know? time I walked in, I was like, oh my gosh, Star Wars heaven. I love this. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it really is the, you know, the, you, Kudos to you, Ming, for what you've done in here. But you know, again, getting back to what I, you're I, I know about, what you mean. I, I, did, I, I, I would have been one of those kids at 18 who would have benefited from at least a year, maybe two years in the military. I, I was not ready to go to college at the age of 18, and I got lucky. I got lucky that I met some of the right people that I met when I did. Uh, that I, you know, and and I will. You know, say that that at one point it, it took some courage on my part to be able to go home and face my parents and tell them I don't want to be a nuclear engineer. Yeah, I'm doing this for you, not for me. It's not what I'm meant to be. I I, I don't have a passion for it. I don't I don't see a future in it for me. And I, you know, and it was, well, okay, well, what are you going to do? And I was, you know, here I am, I'm in my fall semester of my junior year, and it's, I don't know. And part of that was because I had no purpose. I didn't have values. I hadn't thought about those things. I hadn't thought about really what really meant to me. 
now I look did you back truly, at it. Did you truly not have values? I mean, it sounds I, like your parents, uh, you mentioned them in the beginning of the book, and, and you thanked them, and I thought, yeah, Joe probably comes from a great home where values were instilled. Subconsciously, absolutely, yeah. I did. But what I don't think I did was use that to help me define my plan for college that, and life yes. beyond. Well, right? listen, my dad was saying moral, mental, physical to me my whole life, right. and those are great values. But there's no way that at 18 I was using that to plan my life. You were like most 18-year-olds. I was going to say I, you're indestructible. When you when you <laughs> said that you weren't ready for college, my my guess, Joe, and just knowing you and and seeing the success the success that you've had, that probably you were as ready as any 18-year-old. And and you know maybe you weren't in the military, but let's face it, being uh, involved in high-level athletic team sports is very much like that. As a matter of fact, many Marines, especially many Marine pilots, we liken ourselves to professional athletes in that it is exactly sort of that same thing. You train, you have excelled above, you know, 99% of the rest of the population to be in the position, but, and yet we still look at ourselves in the mirror, at least I do, and I know a lot of my friends do, like, man, I'm not... I'm not living up to myself. <laughs> well, and I, what I think the biggest thing for me was to learn also quit beating myself up, right? I mean, stop, I stop. Right. We, we, we all do, and that's because we have high standards. And I go back to realize that most of the good in my life, when I really think about it, comes back to the things that my parents instilled in me when I was younger. And, and, and I failed to live up to that, you know, print their principles many a time, but that's also called life. And that's why I think it gets back to, um, you know, I was on this trajectory myself where, you know, I started off my first job out of college. Boom. I'm in my hometown professional sports team working for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm like thinking I got the greatest job in the world. I get bit by the coaching bug. Bam. I decide to go and I want to be a coach. I'm a head coach at the age of 27. I'm running hockey camps. I'm digging life. I used to, my, my wife would say she got up and went to work and I got up and went and played. And I would you know, always say to to Heidi at, at the banquet at the end of the year, thank you for allowing me to prolong adolescence because I was doing what I loved every day. And I loved helping young people to become young men. And, you know, I, I uh, but I also realized, you know, you get to a certain point where, as I say in the book, I, I was spending my time raising other people's children while my wife was raising ours. And, you know, anytime, you know, those values get a little bit too skewed one direction or another. And, you know, I went away to Buffalo and like you said, I mean, I I was making more money than I've ever made in my life when I was working for the Sabres, but I was away from my family. What's my number one value, at least the one I have written down and the one I say all the time, family. And there I am, you know, four hours away from him. And anybody that's ever driven from yeah. central Pennsylvania to Buffalo knows that that's not a fun trip. And and so I, I was not in that right space. I was not in the zone. I was not in the flow. Yeah, I was making money. And I was in a, you know, I was in the best hockey league in the world. Um, but it, but it, something was missing. Something wasn't right. And I, I was appreciative of the opportunity and I, I learned one of the things that I learned, and I learned it kind of the hard way over those those few years, both as an associate athletic director, uh, as a vice president, and then when I went to Lockhaven for a short time, Lockhaven University, yeah. um, I really am not a very good administrator. 
It's not neither me. am I. Okay. Well, and, and we well think about it though. When in order to get to a next level, yeah. what happens? Well, we've got to get to that level. And it's like you said. Well, you know, you could have been a general. Well, maybe you weren't meant to be a general. Oh, I, I could not have been you a general. Know? Absolutely, I'm I mean, aware I, of that. I always go back to a great line in in Star Trek uh, to uh, the Wrath of Khan. And again, I said I'm a I'm a sci-fi Star Trek. You know, I I once read a book called Any Everything You Needed to Know in Life You Can Learn from Star Trek, and you know, so uh, you know when when Spock turns to Jim Kirk, Captain Kirk, and says to him, Admiral, it was a mistake for you to accept promotion. Your first best destiny is to be the commander of a starship, and and you start to think about the Peter Principle, right? Where you get once, well, that was me being an administrator. Uh, you know, I, I'm meant to be in sales. I'm meant to be a teacher. I'm meant to be a coach. You know, and and me being this, you know, ad- administrator, especially like if I could be the CEO, I think I could flourish. All right. Well, in lieu of being a CEO, I've become an entrepreneur. So I'm the CEO of me and anybody that's working with me. And I want to, you know, I'm happier. I'm not making anywhere near the money. I was making as an associate athletic director or as a uh, vice president in the NHL. I am so much more fulfilled. So much. I had a woman come up to me the other day. At a, I gave a talk to a company in Pittsburgh to their annual corporate meeting, and she said afterwards, "Your talk has challenged me to relook at my life and and do some things." You know, she said, "I, I have this great job." but I'm not doing the things at home that I need to do. And then she said, you know, you're, there is so much joy in your voice. There is so much passion in what you do. Up on that stage, I could just see the joy in you doing what you're doing. And that that just, that's better to me. That That's the best paycheck I can get because uh, that's what I feel like. I really feel like I am back to doing something purposeful. I'm back to being other-centered and that's what coaching and teaching are really all about. And so the more people I can impact in a positive way, um, you know, I've had people come up to me and say, well, you know, you, you, you weren't all, you didn't always live like this. And you're of course not. I didn't. So what? You know what it means? I'm human. Okay. Most of us falter. Most of us get sidetracked here and there. And that's where that accountability partner comes in to kind of get you a little back on track. And I saw Bart, a, a statistic, uh, I believe it was in the Wall Street Journal that talked about how there are more young teachers quitting the profession today at an earlier point in their career than ever before. And I cannot believe that it isn't one simple thing, that we have taken discipline out of public education. And we just, we are afraid to stand up to these helicopter parents. We are afraid to stand up to school boards that, you know, have maybe a different set of interests than, than, than the kids' interest at heart. And, you know, until we have real leaders out there who are going to say, I stand for something and I'm going to make a stand. And part of that means, you know what? Your kid isn't always right. Yeah. Your kid's not always going to win, you know, and, and, you know, somebody does get to be the first string uh, quarterback, you know, the, the starting setter on the girls volleyball team, you yeah. know, the, the, the captain of the field hockey team, whatever. And, and same thing, you know, 
take it. You know, somebody gets to be the lead in the play. Somebody gets to be the, you know, the lead trumpeter and on the band. I, all these things. You got to earn that. And we've, we, we, I think, have become so soft in so many ways that we just say, well, it's your turn today, you know, to be the leader. And, and you know, instead of there being some criteria that says, no, 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 you, 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 we'll, we'll give you a shot so you can experience, but ultimately, those that achieve are, are you know, are going to be the ones that perform. <laughs> You've got to go out and prove it. There's so much in what you just said. I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm nodding my head in agreement with all of it. Uh, I have both my, you know, Rory is in first grade right now. JD is right behind her. And he's going to be in preschool next year. And I, I agree. The one thing that you said that I kind of was like, yes, it seems like in education now that the, the industry, I'm going to say as an industry, because let's put it this way. It's not the people. People right. are the same. All, all of the, the educators out there are, are the same as all of us. They kids. have their different opinions and their different motivations, desires, uh, personalities. But it seems like education as a system is exactly what you said, fearful yeah. of everything to the point that they, they, they let it all just go. And I am so with you on this. And, and I've talked about this with my wife. You know, we're, We looked at sort of alternative education as well like okay what are some other options out there they're either one exceedingly expensive um and really i'm not sure that they're that price is worth it or two they're um they're time they would be radically yes they would be radically disruptive to what we're doing at home of course so um, we, I think we live in a good place. We we generally like the school where where Rory is, but I see that kind of stuff there too. And I well, look at it this way. If I can interject real quick, yeah, no. that you know, if your kid is going to public school, don't remember that their education isn't one hundred percent going to come from there. Oh, it has yeah, to come no. from the parents, you know, and and there there has to be this life experience piece to it which you know I, I when I hear about these schools that have they've limited homework to so many hours they've limited the uh, amount of homework on the weekend and and I'm okay with that because let the kids go out and experience life yeah absolutely you know, give them time to go out and apply what they've learned yeah that, well that and, seems and, to be at and, least and, one trend that I think is positive yes because yes. you're right because uh, the other one is that we're we're literally teaching to test we're teaching yes, them to yeah. achieve these scores so that they can you know the school gets to say woohoo 95 percent of our kids you know pass the standardized test and you know 80 percent of our kids are going to college which that's a whole different part of my book that I talk about you know okay great I want to know how many of those kids are still in college a year later two years later how many of them ever finished their degree and does it take them six seven years and oh by the way are they 150 to two hundred thousand dollars in debt? You know, so these kids are coming out of college. You a Mike, today. Are you a Mike Rowe fan? Yes, <laughs> me too. <laughs> Absolutely, and and you know, and oh well. I mean, I, I think there's there's several people out there. I I happen to listen to Kevin Fleming. Um, he talks about you know skills for the 21st century, and you know one of the things I heard in, in his uh, um, uh, webcast that he did was that you know we we've convinced this whole generation that you go to any school anywhere. 
any time in any major for any amount of money. And we've convinced them that it doesn't matter. You do all those things and you're going to be successful. Well, what happens is you got kids majoring and no offense to these majors, but if you're going to go into certain majors, you better know that, well, unless you go on to get a master's and then eventually a PhD, you're not going to make a lot of money being a sociologist. That's exactly right. You're not going to make a lot of money. And we know that the money's not... The, the main thing, of course. It's true. Um, but you got to make enough to pay the bills. Well, yes, absolutely. And, and yeah. that's, that's a big part of pragmatic yeah. passion because, you know, a passion, it, it, let's just say, for instance, if I were into music and my goal was to be a professional musician and I'm going to make my living as a musician, that's a whole different level than the person that has a job that allows them the flexibility to go tour a little bit but mostly play Friday, Saturday, Sunday locally. So you're augmenting your your income yes. and you're fulfilling your passion by by playing as a side gig. Because when you're dependent on that, well, again, it gets back to you have to be a certain level of performance or people aren't going to pay to come see you. And, and, and not it, just a certain level of performance, but you will be working nonstop. Yeah. So that is one... This is reminding me of a great story. Let me tell you a great story. So Good. I just started. I just started playing musical instruments. It's probably six years ago now. I, I never played a thing growing wow. up. Wow! I picked up a mandolin. Here's the story. So <laughs> I, I I got a mandolin because I like bluegrass music, and I thought, and I was like, yeah, my hands are kind of too small for a guitar, or at least so I thought. So I I got this mandolin. It was like. 70 bucks online. It's cheapo. And I was like, I'm going to learn to play the mandolin. Well, it sat in a closet for four years. And so one day, uh, Ari says, I'm throwing this out. You're never going to play this. And I was like, I am too. And this was kind of near the end of my Marine Corps career. And I was sort of thinking, of, you know, I, I guess I was less worried about how um, – how much I paid attention at work, <laughs> you know what I mean. So, not, not that I wasn't doing my job, but I, so I, I broke that thing out and I started playing uh, out of a book. Well, it's been six years. I play the mandolin, the guitar, and the tenor guitar now, and I'm not great, but I, I can, I can strum some tunes. Again, I would never be a professional musician. I'm it's not a hobby. That good, but it's, it's awesome. It's a hobby, and it, right? and, and it I found is- out I was good at it. By the way, I was, I, I, as a matter of fact, beyond that book, I've never taken a lesson on any of those in my life. I just taught myself, and uh, my wife is who majored in vocal performance at Kentucky. Uh, is like I, I, she's like you hear music. I'm like I have to. She she says I have to have a sheet in front of me. She's like you just hear it, and it's true. Maybe if I'd started when I was five. But it leads me to this, which goes to that music thing and about how people, you know, you can't just go into music, right, and be a – I went up to this mandolin shop that was in uh, – what's that island uh, off – I'm gonna. I'm, I'm forgetting. Anyway, it was called Mandolin Brothers. It had been there for years and years. The old man that ran it passed away recently, and it mm. shut down. Uh, but it was an icon. And I went in there. I was like, wow, Mandolin Brothers. I've been looking at you guys for a long time. I finally made it here. And I was like, and I saw that you just had, uh, you know, and there's this famous mandolin player had been in there. I was like, he, he had just been in here the other day. And I was like, wow, it must be awesome when someone like that comes in. You get to hear him. And the guy said this to me. He goes, yeah, it was cool. I mean, it's really good. And I was like, oh, you don't seem impressed. He goes, people like that walk in here every single day. Wow. And I was like, wow, really? He goes, yeah. And they don't make a living playing anything. Right. They're programmers yeah. or stockbrokers or garbage men. Yeah. And they, they come in and they pick the hell out of these instruments like 
any of the top performers. I was like, wow. He goes, you, you, and, he, and he basically said, but you can't make a living in music unless you really are willing to do it 24-7. Okay, so the seven principles. Yeah. That gets to the third one, the first S, sacrifice. Yep. Okay, are you willing to sacrifice a kind of normal existence as defined by society, right? You know, the house in the suburbs, the two-car garage, the, the two kids, the, the dog and the cat, you know, and, and if, you know, because let's face it, if you're going to go into the music industry, it's going to be tough, you know, and, and the same can be said about theater, same thing can be said about professional athletes. I'm working with professional athletes through the National Athletic Professional Success Academy. That's NAPSA. And I, we have a great CEO. His name is Brad Mitchell. Man is a genius. Um, I've learned so much from him and the team that I've been fortunate enough to be around that includes an instructional design professor, uh, Dr. Jason Engerman, uh, Dr. Mark Watson, who's uh, workforce development, um, and Mike Turkett, who has spent his whole career in the uh, uh, getting people hired and HR and uh, recruiting. And, and so the, we, we have this amazing group of people that, that have come together for NAPSA. And our, our goal is to help people kind of figure out how to turn what these different skills and competencies they've learned, you know, as an athlete, as a musician, as an artist, as an actor or actress, um, and how can you take those skills and competencies that you've learned in those uh, endeavors and translate them in? Because if you think about it, anybody that can write music, read music, can probably code. Yeah. As a matter of fact, IBM, when, when the whole coding, when, when, when the personal computer boom happened and computers were, were you know, and, and there was a shortage of people that knew how to code. Well, IBM made a conscious decision to go hire musicians because they figured, listen, if you understand patterns, if you can think logically like that, then you can be a coder. And so, uh, again, I, I look back, there's a quote that I have in the book. I'm talking to a friend of mine that's a, a researcher at, at Penn State, and he uses the he's having a discussion with a grandmaster in chess who actually makes a living playing chess. While he is good, and my my friend, he he's certainly not at that level. And that guy says, you know, hey, look, you know, you can be a good accountant and make a good living. You can be a good engineer and make a good living. You can't be just a good chess player <laughs> yeah. and expect you have to be world class. Well, it's pretty much the same thing with art, music, yep. you know, That's theater, exactly right. professional sports. You you can't just be a versatile, okay athlete that can play three or four different sports and think you're going to make a living. And that was me. I was not an elite, at, uh, elite athlete in any one sport. I, I gravitated toward hockey, but even there, uh, false assumptions about how good I was, really believed that I was going to get a Division One college hockey scholarship because I won the Dapper Dan uh, Classic uh, M defensive MVP when I was a junior. And, you know, we'll look at all the football and wrestling and basketball. You know, they all got Division One scholarships. Well, mine never materialized, and I just didn't understand that world. And that's happened to me on more than one occasion where I don't feel like I'm in over my head, but I'm certainly out of my league. Sure. And I made I made some, you know, choices that were not based, they weren't informed. 
And, you know, that's options. That's chapter six in the book, right. options, which is, you know, develop great options and make informed choices. And I didn't. So that's, you know, my, the seven, since I've referred to them a couple of times now, it's, it spells out the word passion. It's an acronym. Purpose is the P. Yep. The A is attitude. The first S is sacrifice. The second S is servant leadership, which we can talk about. Um, the I is for inspiration because we all need inspiration from within and we need motivation from, from other sources to keep us going, including that accountability partner. And then the O is for options. That's all about you know, cre- research and, and, and then making wise decisions and choices. And then the last but not least is the end for nurture. And that's where we're nurturing ourselves and others in order to have this kind of growth mindset to always keep learning, always keep wanting to be better. And, you know, I'm, I'm 58 years old now. And I'm still trying to decide what I want to be when I grow yeah. up. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, so one couple things. First off, me too. Uh, I, I'm still deciding what I want to be. Although this right here is awesome. This yeah. is where this is where I feel in the flow. By the way, you can tell and see. That's and, again. Here's my observation in the short time we've been talking on the phone, yep. and what I'm watching is this brings you joy. This is meaningful. This is purposeful for you. And knowing you and knowing your values, I can say that you're going to throw yourself into this with all you've got. And by the way, in order to be successful, I don't care what your definition, you know, somewhere in there has to be that you're going to give it your all because otherwise, you know, yeah, there's one hit wonders all over the place, right? And this, I don't care what you do, whether you're an accountant, a lawyer, a banker, uh, masonry, it doesn't matter. You ha- there's going to be days where you just got to grind it out, and not every day can be the happy day. And I, when I hear these people say, "Well, I'm just not happy at work," well, okay, does it pay your bills? Yeah. Uh, does it allow you the flexibility to go be at your kid's soccer game or hockey game or to go watch a ballet? Whatever, you know. Yes. You know, is it giving you benefits? Yes. Well, then that's the pragmatic piece. Yeah. Okay. The 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 other side of this is. You can find your happiness in, in, in other ways. And happiness is a fleeting emotion anyway. It comes and goes. Um, are you fulfilled? Is it allowing you to do this? Are you spending time with your family? So those are the kinds of things I talk about in the book. Yeah. This can be syst- systematic, that we have a, a process, and it starts with what do you want? What matters to you? What are your values? That's, what are your interests? Well, I, I, Who so, asks 16, 17-year-old so kids I want to dwell on this because I really do think that the when it comes down to it, that is the big sort of crux, maybe of life, but certainly of what we're going, what you were going for in this book, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of what we've talked about so far, you mentioned in the book that... I think it was like two thirds of Americans are are at work just existing. Mm-hmm. Remember that part, and that that got me. And I was I was thinking to myself, how many you know, how many people are out there just going through that? And I see them because I have a long commute all, every day. I'm one right. of them, and I'm kind of like, okay, this is this is good, but it's not it's not passionate. It's paying the bills, and it's paying the bills, right? So. What? It's a and, it's and a you know what I'm thinking. And, and by the way, it doesn't even matter. It's not even about 
it, it's not even about having a job, you know, that is just sort of your, you know, who are the people in your neighborhood, right? Because right. how many of the guys with the, with the program that you see come through that may have reached the pinnacle of, say, athleticism, mm -hmm. they're, they're in the NFL, let's say. How many of those guys, I'll bet you that the, I'll bet you that the rate is still the same. If you take a poll of, say, NFL or, or NBA players, I'll bet you two-thirds of them are like, yeah, I'm here. It pays the bills. I'd rather be doing something else. Mike Reed, as you may know that name, um, was an All-American football player at Penn State, uh, played in the NFL, and at the height of his career, he walked away. People were stunned. And this was back in the 70s. This was way out ahead of some of the stuff that's going on now. And his passion was country music. And people thought he was crazy. And instead, now you look at him, he's this incredibly successful producer, composer. Uh, he's won Grammys. Um, and, and he is living that purposeful, you know, joyful, meaningful life. And he walked away from something that, you know, most people, if they were given the talent to That's play right. at that yep. level, would you? And I, when I hear stories like that, that's what inspires me. That that you know, it it it, it isn't about this. Um, you know, Carla Harris is another. I, I heard her speak recently at a global le leadership summit. Um, I wasn't in attendance, but I watched it via satellite. Which you know, today you got to almost try not to learn. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> there's right. There's so much available to you. There's too much, by that, the way. Yeah. Um, and, and you have to be intentional and deliberate intentional, about what that's you right. want to listen to. Yep. You know, if you're listening to angry, nasty, hurtful music and watching that kind of programming over and over again, well, aren't you more likely to lead a life that, that takes you into those dark places? If you woke up every day and listened to happy, joyful, uh, invigorating music that was, you know, uh, helping you to go out and go after your dreams, I I'm not going to say that it's 100% going to get you there, but common sense tells us that if you're listening to that kind of music, it's going to put you in the right frame of mind, not that dark frame of mind. And yet, I know so many people who will listen to just negative, nasty music and then they become that they're they're consumed with this anger and you know it takes a little bit more of an intentional person that can say oh i'm going to listen to this because it, it's just something I, I i do over here yeah but when it becomes an obsession and you know if gone if it goes unchecked again i would say i would argue that common sense will tell you that that person is likely to go too far off that deep end of the, the, the board and you know we got to get them back into saying why do you listen to it sure is it li aligning with your purpose well again most people don't even know what that is they've never sat down and been intentional about it and I uh, I've seen it all or that where you know you've got these kids whose parents already have it picked out for them well you're gonna be a doctor or you're going to be in the military, or you're going to be a classical musician. Sure. And and they live these just tragic lives because they're living somebody else's life and not their own. And now, part of that is, well, they never did the exercises to know, well, what is it I want to do? How do you know unless somebody sits down? 
Uh, and here's the thing that drives me crazy, and I'll get off of this. Um, no, no, it's it's good. I, I, if 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 you needed to get to become a better skater in hockey, you went and hired somebody to be a power skating instructor. If you wanted to hit a tennis ball better, you hired a. Ten- if you want to learn how to play the violin better, you you know. If you want to be a better ballet dancer. Etc. We send our kids to camps. Yep. We send them to private instructors, and we don't bat an eye. Yet, when it comes to trying to help them figure out what's their purpose, you know, what is the direction that they should go to? And by the way, half of that battle is figuring out what it isn't. Well, let's. You talk about this in the book, by the way. One is a coach. One is a mentor. mentor. The coach is a specific skill set, mm. something that you can work on that is pretty concrete in most cases, right? right. Whereas the mentor is a holistic, yes, a spiritual sort of thing. And I, I'm, I'm probably putting that in the wrong language, but but I, I like that idea because we do need yeah. coaches for certain things. That's Absolutely. why we go to school, right? Absolutely. Um, but we a, a mentor is something that is far more nebulous and not addressed. Well. And and let's face it. Sometimes we think of like, okay, what, who's a mentor? Is is it a friend? No, I'm sorry, but but I have lots of friends. I have lots of acquaintances. They're not mentors. Your father was a mentor. Vance McCullough in my life was a mentor. Ray Lombra, Paul Cohen, Ruth Hussey, Janet De Blasio, the, the you know uh, Jeff Martha. These people are my. That's my. That's my team. You know, some of them. Again, unfortunately, have passed away. You're and, very you blessed, know. by the way, to have that many mentors. Oh, I, I, I well, do not have. Near and that and many. thankfully, the so many of them have held my feet to the fire. And you know, I'd I'd love to say that I always, you know, um, listened to them and came through. But uh, you know, I look back at some of the worst decisions I made, and most of the time, I can attribute to me uh, not following the guidance of some of those mentors. Uh, you know, at, at, at different times in my career. And uh, however, you know, I'd still, I look back and overall, I am very blessed. I have lived a fun, uh, eventful life. Um, it's had its share of ups and downs. And I, you know, if it was all, you know, roses and sunshine, I'm not sure it would be as meaningful to me that I, because you don't know if you can't compare it to some of those times when you fell flat on your face and, and just made some bad decisions. Uh, it's okay. And, you know, I just think that if we're more intentional at an earlier age, that we can probably do a better job of, you know, eliminating a lot of the waste. And and that's why I, 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 I say, you know, the two things, one, if you need help, go get it and be willing to pay for it, doggone it. They said you don't have a problem paying a golf instructor or a tennis instructor, but you won't go see a clinical psychologist if you feel you're going down a certain path with anxiety, depression, or your, or worse yet, your, ch- your child is going down that path. I had a woman come up to me at a talk recently, same thing. She was crying and she said, I have a son that went through exactly what my son Ryan went through. And I talk about it very openly in the book. And I'm very appreciative to my son Ryan for allowing me to share that with other people so they may benefit from this because he reached a point in his life where he was, you know, 16 years old and the sky was falling. 
and I'm never going to be successful like my big brother and sister, and, you know, life isn't even worth living, you know, and I'm going, dude, you got a 4.3 grade point average and a 1,400 SAT. There are people out there that would <laughs> be so happy with those scores, and why are you such a perfectionist? Why are you taking on this catastrophic mindset? He he's a good kid. He's gonna be successful, but he need, he reached a point where dad he wasn't listening to mom and dad. So we swallowed our pride, said we got to get him because we're not willing to take the chance that maybe there isn't some deeper issue going on here. Sure. And we got him some help. Well, the same thing I think you know having that accountability partner. You got to have the person that looks you in the eye and says to you, Joe, you're full of it. Okay, I'm calling you out on that one. Either you're not doing what you said you were going to do, or you're not doing it to the level you need that you know you could be doing it at. And that is why you're not getting to a certain point that you, a goal that you set for yourself. And, and you know what, Mark? That comes back to discipline, right? Determination. The things that we just talked about, you know, we. If we don't put some discipline back into the hands of teachers in our schools, if we don't start investing more in guidance counselors and career counselors and things of that at, at an earlier age, hey, when you're sick, really sick, you know, your Elk Seltzer Plus can't get it done, what do you do? You go to a doctor. Okay, what's that doctor do? That doctor assesses your symptoms. They do an assessment, right? And they're trying to figure out, and, and how do they do that? They use a process and went, well, we're going to do these tests. We're going to take your temperature. We're going to take your blood pressure. You know, we're going to look at your throat. We're going to look at your sinuses. We're going to do all these things. We start ruling things out, right? Boom, boom. It's not this. It's not this. It's not this. And we narrow it down, and eventually we get closer and closer to what is the ailment. Well, why don't we do that with people's career objectives? Sit down and say, well, we know your career isn't this. It's not that. It's not. Let's start eliminating those things. Now it narrows the focus on, okay, Bart, this is your sweet spot right here. Okay, now let's figure out what are those types of jobs or as an entrepreneur that will allow you to be able to fulfill that, that, that destiny. And it's, it's now up to you. But we don't ask those questions. That's my whole point. When, when you were in high school, maybe you did. Maybe you were one of the lucky few who knew exactly what you wanted to be. I didn't. Uh, maybe you were one of the few that had a guidance counselor who sat you down and helped you figure out what that was going to be. I went to a high school with 1,350 kids yeah. in my graduating class. I, I, I got 15 minutes with my guidance counselor. Yeah, me too. I mean, you they know. Get, they gave you a quick test, and they, they, no, they gave you and, a list of stuff no, like, you, hey, you could do this. We and, and, Plus, by the way, at that age, you have not finished forming. You don't even no, – you that, really don't know who you are yet. So, and so, too often when those assessments are taken, by the way, kids will answer them the way they think their parents yeah, that's a great point. want them yeah. to answer, right? So, you know, that, that's, that's certainly, uh, I believe in assessments, but once again, they are necessary, but just like passion and pragmatic and power, they're not sufficient. They are necessary. They are not sufficient. And, and, and the worst to me is when you take those free assessments and have nobody that can help you to clarify that. Yeah, that's right. Right? To look at the results and go, hey, let's, and be able to distill and them because they've had that experience. We did that with Ryan, and I write about it in the book, that we took him both to an industrial psychologist who helped him with his career 
planning, and we took him to a clinical psychologist who helped him with his internal, you know, issues. He he came back from those meetings a changed young man. Even though mom and dad told him some of those same things, he it 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 was it took that bringing an expert in, a coach. Paying them. Sure, that's that's the time in your life it when was, you are pulling away a little oh, bit, trying to find. Absolutely. So of course you're not going to listen to mom and dad as much. Uh, well, and it and it was it made all the difference. And and you know I will tell you it, it made an immediate difference because Ryan went out. And he played golf for his high school team and went out and shot his lowest score ever to date. Three days after his second session with a clinical psychologist who was teaching him coping skills relaxation skills, quit being this perfectionist, quit being a catastrophic, every the world is going to end over one bad shot. And I can't tell you how much I've seen him mature after he went and got coached. Clinical psychology is absolutely one of the most effective uh, mind-changing tools that is available to us and the stigma surrounding it is going away, which is really good. I'm glad to see that day and age. And I think even more so for, for men who have typically been less uh, likely to seek that it's becoming much more accepted. And I don't, I have been listening to, uh, are you familiar with Jonathan Haidt? Yes. Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of, uh, every podcast I could on happiness lately. And I'm also reading a book, um, that Dr. Haidt wrote. And, uh, he mentions three things that he and his studies have that, that work on uh, in terms of changing the what he calls the elephant that 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 part of you that is subconscious that right. works, and they are meditation and by the way I wanted to ask you about mindfulness since you mentioned it in the books a couple yeah, of times yeah. in the book a couple of times meditation clinical psychology and certain types of drugs. No. Those are the three things. And he said that they all have their place. And I, yeah, clinical psychology is one of those things that I think probably more of us need than we admit. All right. Well, let's talk about the male thing for a second. Yeah, go okay? for it. So you, all right. So if you're on crutches, people have sympathy for you. They might even have empathy for you, right? If you've got your arm in a sling. Yep. If you're carrying around emotional baggage, if you've got something going on mentally, you've got some kind of mental health issue, people, in especially go back a couple of years, um, oh, you're not tough. You're a wimp, you know, and it gets back to, no, it, it's got nothing to do with that. You know, uh, I've watched people that went with undiagnosed mental disease that committed suicide. Yep. And, you know, so so what? Again, check your ego in at the door. And this is a, you have to be intentional. You have to be deliberate. And there it's are an certain, epidemic on uh, in, in the veteran community right now. That it is, absolutely is. And that was what I was going to get to, especially, I think, when you're talking about any type of first responders. Yep. You, find, you find the retired police officers. You find the retired firefighters, the retired uh, military. Okay. It, they're all, there's this macho stigma with, well, you know, I'm not going over there. Same thing with professional athletes. I see that. How about, I'll tell you, female athletes as well, because most of them, they're, they're used to this, you know, all the things that are going on, but they don't have as many opportunities in professional leagues as their male counterparts. That's right. So 
all of a sudden they come from being this elite female athlete that's playing Division One basketball or soccer, and there's only a small percentage of them that are going to play in the WNBA or play professional soccer, mostly overseas. That's right. And what happens to the thousands and thousands of young ladies that are out there that all of a sudden, I don't have this anymore. I don't have the camaraderie. You know, guys have dealt with this for years, but ever, you know, since the explosion and growth of women's sports, that, that that's a whole segment that no one wants to talk about. You've yeah. got these female. So now some of them come out of it. They're the, the, the being the athlete made them a better person, made them a better employee, but not all of them. And some of them have a hard time dealing with that transition. No different than people that come out of the military, that come out of the police service. And I think we, being mindful of that, you know, as a society, have got to be more open about getting rid of the stigma that's attached to it. You need help, go get it. You've got to have the courage, you know, to, to go seek help when you know you need it. And I personally have gone through it. I had an issue that happened in my personal life that that left me uh, where I needed to go get anger management therapy. Yeah, I had to, and and my wife knew it, my kids knew it, um, and you know, and it could have led to something pretty bad had I not gone and sought help because I was uh, this something happened that was leaves. A dad, well, we started this know. conversation talking about anger and internalizing yeah. it um, and, and how it can it doesn't eat, do it literally good. kills you. It eats you it, up inside. It, it's a death by a thousand cuts. That's right. You know, no, so. uh, absolutely. Not uh, fun stuff to talk about, but it needs to be talked oh, about. Absolutely. And, and, you know, that's where leadership, to me, that's where real leadership, you're, I learned more about leadership from your father, you know, from the day he gave me the message to Garcia. You know, I to have my copy my, right now. My man, the man in the glass. Uh, uh, you know, uh, or the guy in the glass. Remember, he he changed oh, yeah, that. He had right. the guy in the glass, which is a great poem, and he he changed it so that he had copies of both the gal in well, the glass. The, right, right. And, he, and, and and that's true. And I, you that's know, so him, by the way. He just no. He, the, the, you're right. He was a natural leader of of people. He was absolutely, he, and he never wanted credit. Nope. That was he was always about giving the credit to somebody else, and he was other centered. He was that servant leader. You know, it was putting, you know, service above self. Um, I, I cannot tell you the number of times when I know it broke his heart when he would have to look me in the eye. And, and a lot of times it came down to summer camp related stuff because yeah. he was responsible for that. And I would be like, oh, you know, Colonel, I really need uh, uh, some help getting this kid in. And he'd look at me and say, Joe, you know the rules. Doggone it. Don't, don't put yourself or me in this situation. And then He'd surprise the heck out of me by saying, I found a solution. And I'd be like, wow, I thought that I buried that. I wasn't even thinking about it anymore in there. Look at you. You went and found a way, speaking with the people in the compliance office to say, okay, we've got a way that, that we can make this work for a kid to get into the camp. He, he just solved. And he never called it a problem. He said it was a challenge. Yep. He, he would look at me, coach. Coach, no such thing as a problem. It's a challenge, right? And I say he, that. He said it to me, too, and I say it to my <laughs> daughter right now. As a matter of fact, if she says I can't do it, I, all I have to do now is look at her real sharply. Yeah, and she yeah. goes, this is a challenge. And she just yes. changed her. This is a challenge. I'm like, that's right. Well, it's a mindset. That's right. Right? It, it really is. And, and, and you know, not 
that that alone. I just again, love hearing this because it, it's the same. I hear him yeah. when you say that. I'm just like, yeah, that's what my dad told me. Well, huh? and, and as you know, I mean, I I had a very unique relationship with your dad because in one sense, I felt like I was another son. In another sense, I felt like I was a brother. You know, in another sense, I felt like he was, and he was, he was a best friend. Yeah. And I had, I was so blessed to have somebody like him in my life because I knew no different than Ray Lombra, Paul Cohen. They would, if, if I was wrong, they would look me in the eye and tell me, did I always listen? No. And shame on me. I wish sometimes I, I would have, sure. but, but you know, on, on the things that mattered the most, I usually accepted their counsel and, and said, you know, you're right. And, it, and as I say, they, they talked me off the ledge many a time on certain issues. And, you know, maybe it doesn't, you know, it seems like this big issue going on. And then you take a step back and reframe it. And suddenly you realize, oh, you know what? It's really not that. And, and there, is, there is a solution. Well, that sounds this. very mindful. Coach, uh, it is. So, it, how do you, uh, you know, I, uh, mindfulness is seems to be one of those words that is becoming a little bit more ubiquitous. Yeah, people yeah. are talking about mindfulness, with uh, which I love, right. and I, I love the idea. I'm not a great, I'm not great at practicing it, but at least it's in my mind. What, what does mindfulness mean to you? What do you, how it, do you practice mindfulness? It, it, you know what? I think it's a big part of it is right off the bat. You have to tune out all the distractions. Right and say, okay, um, if I'm practicing mindfulness, it, it starts with empathy. Right, you're, you know, are you putting yourself in other people's shoes when you're thinking about this? Um, and so when I get myself into that state, you know, deep breath. You know, for some people it's meditation, for some people it's exercise, for other people it's reading, whatever it might be. Uh, to practice mindfulness means you're 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 thinking. All right, here's here's how it impacts me, but how is it impacting others? Right? How am I thinking about, you know, not just the golden rule, you know, treat others as you would like to be treated, but the platinum rule. I, I love that by the way. I've been saying it for years. It's not it's not treat others how you'd like to be treated. It's it's treat people how they want to be treated right. because we have different we're different people, different right? Cultures, what, different what I biases. Like, yeah, that's right. Right. And I, I so I think, you know, it, it it's the how do you put yourself in that where you're teaching yourself mindfulness? You know, you, you have to have that blend of spirit, mind, and body. So, you know, you find those that where's that spot you can go to where you can practice this and it's intentional. Mindfulness is intentional. And it can be practiced. That's right. And yeah. then what I think you're talking about, I hope I'm getting to it, is now it's the application of it. You know, I can read all the books I want about all this stuff. That's right. But if I'm not using it when, when well, I you, a, you said it, actually, when you were just talking, and that's what made me think of it. You said, I, I, had to, I had to see it, recognize that this is something other than who I am. Right. That, that this is not something that is concrete and to let that go. Yeah. And that's, and, and I'll tell you what, letting it go is a lot harder for some people than it is for others. <laughs> damn near impossible for me on certain things. I am just, yeah. Well, and I, and I, I, there are times where things from 20 years ago hit me and I, I literally clench my fists like, Ooh, well, and I have, I'm lucky. I have a couple of gentlemen, Ken Bachman, Ron Banerjee, again, brothers, 
you know, just, you know, and we met under, we've become better friends because of some circumstances, but we literally talk about this. It's our Saturday morning golf. Uh, you know, it, it's taking the place of that. We do Saturday morning coffee and we sit down and we talk about just, the, and we're vulnerable. It's, it's what you were talking about. Men don't like to do this sort of thing. But we sit down and talk about family. We talk about our, our marriages. We talk about kids. We talk about our own. You know, are we doing what we want to do? Yeah. Or is, are, we, are we fulfilling what we're supposed to be doing? And I think it helps to realize that we're all going through this together in some respects. And, you know, that, that, that letting it go, I, geez, I, I got to tell you, there's sometimes I beat myself up over stuff that happened 30 years ago. And I don't know why I can't just say, you know what, I got to, I, I, I I can't, I can't control whether or not something that I did 30 years ago, somebody's going to forgive me, you know, for it. I have to get to that point where I'm willing to forgive myself and move on from it. And I not made only a that. mistake. Uh, maybe it was because I wasn't educated on a certain issue and just made a bad decision. Maybe I was being immature at that particular stage in my life. You know, I, that's why I, I have a hard time with what's happening right now. It's like, you know, somebody's getting held uh, responsible for some joke they told when they were 12 years old. And, you know, suddenly, like, you know, now you're 52 years old and, you know, like you you haven't changed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember this. Well, know. I want to get into that, too, by the okay. way. Um but it's funny because when you were saying that, you know, I, I do the same thing that 30 years ago, 20 years ago, something will come back to me and I will literally be angry. And I know full well that that 20 years ago, it doesn't even exist. Yeah. It's, it's not, it is nothing, right? I mean, right. We, I, I don't mean to get too philosophical, but there is not that. There is nothing. And so it, it, here we are right now. 20 years ago is not even a thing anymore. It's not right. concrete except for up here. And so it's, it's, it I, is funny how our minds work to not let those things go, even though we know better. Right. And you know what's funny? Most of those things, the person that you maybe think you wronged or they wronged you, either way, yes. probably isn't thinking about it at all. <laughs> you know, and, and yet you'll torture yourself over something. Uh, there, was that, a, there was a meme that I saw one time. It was a pilot meme, and it, it's got Kermit the Frog staring out, <laughs> staring out a, a rainy window. And it says, I wonder if my bad landing is still thinking about me. <laughs> That's funny. And as a pilot, I just was oh like, oh, my gosh. Wow. So yeah. true. It doesn't, it's not even something. It's not even a concrete thing. Right. And you'll be sitting about, you know, it's well, like when you got pinned in wrestling when I was younger. I think about it for days. It, 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 hysterical. Well, I got to tell you one funny story. So when I drive from State College, Pennsylvania to Pittsburgh to see my family, my parents are still there, and that's where I grew up. Um, there is a sign, a mileage sign, that as you're driving in on Route 376 uh, that says uh, Penn Hills 3, that's my hometown, Churchill 4. And that was our the next town over, and that score, 4 to 3, Churchill over Penn Hills, was the score of my final high school hockey game. So I am reminded about it. They knocked us out of the state playoffs. We had beaten them all three times we played them in the regular season. And you talk about not being able to let it go. How can I? I'm like, I have friends of mine. I think it's time to call a, a, town, a town councilman or something. We got to get rid of that sign. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta I'm going to start something. a petition. Well, and, I, and actually now, because I'm able to joke around about it, I know I am. You know, I've, I've long since forgotten it. But that's 
that's a minor. That's actually not. You know, I I think what we're talking about are those those really like things that were either hurtful or tragic uh, that have happened in our lives or missed opportunities that may have have occurred at, at certain times in our lives and. You just have to have that mindfulness, th- that mindset that, hey, I'm, I'm going to let this go and learn from it as best I can and, and have somebody helping you. That's where a mentor can certainly come in and, and, and help you to, to, to feel better about yourself and about what's happened and to say, look, okay, it, it's done. It happened. Look at how much progress you've made right up to, to this point and how much you're going to make. Right, and that's the beauty of this. I do mention in the book. I do quote Star Wars, uh, and we talk about the scene in uh, the Empire Strikes Back, yeah. which is pr- still, I think, in many people's minds, the best rated Star Wars episode. That's my favorite. You know, and, and it may be cliche, you know, but it's definitely my there, favorite. There is the scene where Yoda looks at a young Luke Skywalker and says, "Never." Is your mind on the, the present? You know, you're always looking to the future, never here. And 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 I, I think that gets back to that just being mindful where you are. Yep. And and what's going on. And 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 not just for you, but you have to do it for others. You know, and that gets back to the, the why, you know, go to that servant leadership principle. Right, you still have to put others first, and I, I struggled with that. I can tell you, as a young coach, Bart. Oh my gosh, I thought I was hot stuff. We won a national championship when I was thirty years old. It was my third year as a head coach. I really believed in my mind that I was a damn good coach, and then you start to realize, hey, I didn't score a goal, I didn't block a shot, I didn't make a save, I didn't check anybody. Those kids won that championship. Not me. Yeah, I was a good band leader, maybe. Well, I'm going to disagree with you on that one. I'm <laughs> um, just going to say that if a coach is not important, uh, every bit as important as the players, maybe even more so because we can look back in, in history and see the kind of coaches that took the talent to a championship that otherwise would not have gone to a championship. So don't sell yourself well, short. Well, I'll tell you. you were I, tremendous. And by we, the way, how many? Like we, six, we won six, six ACHAs, yeah, right? Six ACHA now championship. But I got to tell you, what I even find – to me, what I think is is more um, important and, and impactful is that we played in 10 straight national championship games. So we always avoided getting upset till we got to that, you know, that final game. And we did it where almost every year the team's cumulative grade point average went up. And even uh, I can still remember my, my final year as coach. You know, where we set a record for the number of wins we've ever had in a season. And we had a equally uh, our best GPA ever as a team in the classroom. And we managed to lose the national championship game because we ran into a hot goalie. And stuff like that happens. I don't look at that as a failure. I don't look at that and say, wow, no. I mean, I look at that group of guys and go, those kids are going to go on and be some no, very you would, successful there would be a, people. I would say there would be a, a serious probably psychological problem if you were to even look at that as anything other than a victory, even with yeah. the loss of the championship. I mean, anyone you, – you, you mentioned in the book, you know, perfect perfect is the enemy of uh, done and and so yeah i mean perfectionists tend to be less happy by the way and so uh, 
Well, no, we had we had another one like that. We we in 1993 we lost in the national championship game. It was the only game that we lost the whole year. We were 33, and as we call it, the wrong one. 33 and the wrong one. But that team was incredible. And uh, but it also goes to show you that you know what? Sometimes talent alone isn't enough, and uh, not even sometimes, all of the time. Talent alone is not enough. You, you, not I was going to say. I, not to be sustained, to have sustained success. You talk about the success. miracle on ice in there. Yep. I, I mean, let, let's face it, that you can have the, the best coach, best provisioned, best athletes in the world, and on any given day, you can be beat. They can be beat. Yeah. And that, that was by a group of, as you say, college age kids. It's it's it, that 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 whole thing is still to me one of the most remarkable experiences because I I was alive through it I watched it on television it changed my life yeah and, and it's an event that is uh, uh, that carries with it the kind of lessons and mythology that we all crave and it goes back to what you were saying and I love that you keep saying this it's it's the ups and downs of yeah. life that 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 makes all the joy. Worth it yeah. because there, with without sadness or tragedy or anger, there there is not the joy. Yeah, how do Otherwise, you, how do you, you are right. nothing more than just sort oh, of. Oh, and I talk about that in the pragmatic passion grid. Um, you know, I, the group that that really uh, you mentioned it earlier, Bart. The you know in the in the go, the poll from Gallup that talks about how seventy percent of uh, workers are not engaged at work. If you break that down a little further in their study, they say that one-third of workers are engaged. They're, they're productive, they're living the corporate culture, they're, they're following the mission and value statements of the uh, company, and they're helping the company. Well, what he also says in, in the study um, is that 16% are actively disengaged to the point where they are toxic. But yet, there's a lot of fear because of rules and regulations and legal ramifications that we're afraid of a wrongful dismissal suit. And those people, instead of getting fired, somehow are allowed to continue to to work. Well, then there's the group in the middle, the 51% that Gallup says are just there. And that, to me, is the saddest part. Those, those survivalists who, you know, it, it reminds me of the the Teddy Roosevelt man in the arena thing. Yeah, great quote. I never want to be among those cold and timid souls that know neither victory nor defeat. That's right. I, you know, to me, I can't just keep going along, shuffling my feet, kicking the can down the road. I, I just feel like, you know, you, if, if, if we're given such a short period of time on this planet, then then we ought to try our best to use our our God-given talents and what we've earned and what we've worked by being deliberate and nurturing and you know trying to be you know, live to the live up to these principles. Um, and if you do that, then you are going to make a difference. And it may not change the world. You know, I always get a kick out of that. You know, you ask kids, "What do you do?" I want to change the world. Well, okay, that's a big dream there. Okay, how about changing just a piece of it? A good friend of mine, John DeBlasio, West Point grad, served this uh, our, our country, uh, you know, several different times. Um, he uh, he has a company called Global Peace and Development Charitable Trust. He made money, sold his business, 
took on the uh, the Gates Buffett challenge and and decided he's going to give away, you know, basically uh, two thirds of it. And uh, he helps other people. And he says his goal is to change the arc of history just a little. Yeah. Think about that. Change the arc of history just a little. What's wrong with that? If you can go and improve lives of people, make education better, medicine better, you know, provide other people joy through your performance in music, art, theater, etc. That's I, I tell a great story in the book about Laura Ann uh, and David Sachs. I don't know if you remember that. Yep, I do. You know, this is that situation where you got two people that love the theater. And they're, when they came out of high school, they really believed that their, their passion was to act. They both wanted to be actors. And what they found once they got into it was this is simply not sustainable. You know, uh, we're never going to have uh, the house and be able to do so. What did they do? They put their kind of their passion on hold while they went back. She got a nursing degree. He became a history professor. Um, they live in State College. And until recently, um, they just retired, but they, they saved up their money. They always kept acting in the summer and producing plays. They, they saved up their money. They bought the Nittany Theater, uh, you know, in Bowlesburg. I, I know it. And, and, and the barn, you know, it's there, right there near where my near, mom lives. Uh, where, where your dad's buried. That's right. Right down I the road. I can see it. From, yep. I and, can see and, it right through the trees. And they, they, that's where their joy where that fulfillment, they never gave up on their dream of being actors, and they, they own the barn. And now that they're retired in the wintertime, they go do it at their home that they have down north of Orlando in the villages. So they run a theater there, and then they come back to State College in the summer. They are living their their dreams. Their dreams have come true. Now, did they become Emmy-winning, you know, Grammy-winning performers? No. That's okay. They are so. When I'm around them, the to see the joy in in them. Even like when you'd see uh, Laura Ann as a nurse, because she was the nurse where I went to my general practitioner. Always had a smile on her face, singing. You know, just had this jump in her step, and and you know she shared that joy with everybody else. And same thing with Dave in the classroom. And I I just. Look at that situation. That's what so many more people should be thinking about doing. Take that that passion you have, and maybe it's for sports, and you turn it into coaching youth teams, or you know, instructing, or volunteering. You know, just because you can't make a living at it doesn't mean you can't do it. And that's why, if 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 you go after a passion and it isn't able to pay the bills, then it really is just a hobby. It's just an avocation. Yep. Now, can you turn it into a side hustle or an encore career, those sorts of things? To me, that's I, I see those people as being just as successful as the people that have climbed the corporate ladder and are making the big money and doing those sorts of things, and the people that did make it as actors and actresses. And I would go as far as to say, in many respects, Laura Ann and Dave are probably living a happier, healthier, more fulfilling, joyful, meaningful existence than some of those people who, you know, you think about what goes on with a Tiger Woods, you know, a Beyonce, you know, these people, they can't go anywhere. They have no private life, right? And and so um, I could make the argument that to a certain extent, 
the people who have found a way to take their vocation and their avocation and to be able to fulfill them both, that, to me, is success. Absolutely. So th- what you just said <clears throat> ra- rang a bell with me, the, uh, the Tiger Woods thing. I-, I read a fascinating article on him. Uh, he wanted to be in the military. Yeah. Because his dad was, and uh, but, his, but his dad wanted him to be a golfer. I mean, right. from, you know what I mean. And, <laughs> yeah. and so, but but Tiger wanted to be in the middle. He spent a lot of time with Navy SEALs, working out, going to these uh, these uh, dynamic shooting ranges, and and training like a SEAL. He he just g- golf was paying the bills, and he was at the top of his game. What what a fascinating story Tiger Woods right. is. Uh, when we look back in history, that's going to be one of those stories that's it's definitely going to be a movie at some point, I, I think. And, Absolutely. And, and you know but what? It, but it's it goes easy. back to I, – I, I, so you said it. Uh, there's, this, there's this middle 50% in that study that's just there. Yeah. there I'm glad that you brought that back up because I remember the breakdown. And, and then there's the bottom third or 16%, right, 16% that, that, that are absolutely toxic. <clears throat> What does that mean? Is that something that is just inherent in life? Is that just something, or are these people right? No, I, you uh, know what? Just, I, just in the wrong place, and 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 I think sometimes you're bringing up a good point. I think sometimes the best thing we can do for somebody that is in the wrong position and is that you know is that toxic employee or toxic member of the sport team, whatever it might be, the best thing we can do for them is the hardest thing yeah. and that is to say enough you you are not a good fit and you you would be better served both for you and for our organization if you were someplace else i i've, I've always thought do you, do you remember uh the the uh the movie about the runner the it was it was the british olympian uh chariots of fire yes yep and you may you know what i'm talking about here and you know that 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 you just you you find you know there's there's different ways to to make this all come out in in the end and i i still there, there's several scenes in that movie if you've never seen it chariots of fire it's worth oh, I've, going of course. back. You, you, you know yeah. this, the music. I was going to say, is, talk, talking about inspirational music. You know, <laughs> but I still remember when when the, the headmaster of the school is sitting back and, and the, the butler walks in and says, he won, sir. Uh, and it was the guy that, that, that won the gold medal. And they said, you know, just as we expected. And if you remember, they butted heads with that student, right? And he, uh, it, it's it's, they kind of forced him to be better than he ever thought he could be, right? And he he was angry at them. Yeah. But in the meantime, what they did, they did the right thing, right? And it pushed him along to be able to go and win a gold medal in the Olympics. Yeah. And uh, th- those are the inspirational stories that we all like and need to have, by the way, right? I, I mean, I, we, we need to have those. And I think that... Uh, you know, we, we just have to be careful. There is a difference between dreaming and fantasizing. Yep. Okay. About me, that, yeah. You know, me thinking that I'm going to be Captain America someday as I'm looking at Captain America's shield signed by Stan Lee, which I think is just blew me away. That's that's awesome. And I got this picture of Star Wars back here with Carrie Fisher's signature on it. I'm, I'm, gonna be, I'm getting chills just thinking about this stuff. Um you know, this is, uh, you know, one of those things where, you know, those, those that that is still Hollywood. Now, however, 
if they can inspire you through, you know, kind of what they stand for, that's not dream, you know, not fantasizing. That's that's putting it to good good use. What what are their values? What do they stand for? They didn't become who they were. It's mythology. Yeah. Right? It's it's using it as a source of inspiration and motivation for you to live that fulfilling life of where again, get back to the ancient Greeks, Arete, you know, a perfect blending of body, mind and spirit. Um, we should aspire to that. Are we going to ever reach it completely? I can tell you right now. Uh, physically, I'm a mess. <laughs> I need to spend, I need to be much more. I once had a, one of my good friends once said, Hey Bart, we're, we're, uh, 45 years old. And this was a couple of years ago. He goes, we're 45 years old now. Uh, just know that every day our body gets physically worse from this yeah. point. <laughs> and Pretty I was much. Like, well, and, and, wow, and, that's a sort of numbing thought. Thanks, bro. Okay, you're, you're, you are fighting uh, that's right. father time, yep. but at the same time, I think that that it, it still comes back to I am putting right now more and more and more of my energy toward the mind and the spirit. I need to go back to personally. This is me being honest. This is me looking at the man in the mirror. This is me doing the you review and saying, you know what, Joe, enough's enough. You you know you should be getting over there and doing your exercises, spending more time doing the things that you need to do physically because I'm feeling great mentally. I'm in a much better place spiritually. But the the piece that's missing a little bit right now is that the physical side for Moral, me. mental, and physical. And and I gotta I gotta get that you know. And how am I gonna get that done? I gotta write those goals down and say, all right, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna get to the to the YMCA, which is a mile down the road from my house? So I really have no excuse. It's right there. Um, I do have some lingering injuries that I've had from sport, and uh, that's a really good excuse for me to say, well, my neck hurts, my shoulder hurts, my back hurts. You know, hey, tough, suck it up, baby. Yep. I got to get back in there and 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 really just say, you know, I I, I got to make that. Part of my plan, my you review, is that I've got to get that that back. Yeah, and then you needed a uh, uh, an accountability partner. Well, I got to tell you, I'm at that point where I think it's time for me to hire yep. a trainer who is going to. I, I need a coach right now. The mentor isn't working. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not uh, paying attention enough. And my wife uh, has been on my case, and she means well. Oh, of course, she's yeah. looking out for my best interests. Yeah. And uh, I think partly because she doesn't want to hear me whine about my my uh, pains and aches, and you know, get out there and 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 do what you got to do and uh, to feel better. Yeah. Um, but I think we all. Plus, you're still the guy she married. Yeah. She want to hear you talk about. <laughs> At the end of the day. She I, still got to get in bed and I, I, be like, hey. I, I do got to tell you that my wife, uh, you know, uh, protested a little bit about the cover of the book because it says father, you know, coach and mentor. And she said, <clears throat> what did you leave off yeah. there? And my like, chopped liver over here? Okay. What's going <laughs> well, Maybe what I should have done was put husband on yeah. there. I don't know. But I, you know, I really, I was looking at it more from the mentoring, you know, coaching, sure. you know, full standpoint. And, and no, I, I can not, see Heidi I saying that. <laughs> he did not mean to uh, leave her out. I love her. She has put up with me and and my antics. And like you said, she allowed me to prolong adolescence when I yeah, was out. By on the, the way, road. when did when did you guys meet? 
We met did, when we were juniors at Penn State. Okay. So and, you had to talk about the fro, by the way. Oh my gosh! Did, yeah. did you have that when you met her? How did you? I, how did you I, land? I Heidi did, but there? actually, <laughs> actually, I will tell you that it, at that point it was uh, probably cut back. Okay, it wasn't certainly <laughs> wasn't the Juan Epstein. Uh, yes, uh, that was exactly what I thought. Uh, right, I've never seen that picture. Welcome I was like, Cotter I'm looking and, at it like. Wow. Yeah, o- Ogie Oglethorpe <laughs> from the slap shot days. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, we actually figured out that she was dating a, a guy that played uh, for Erie McDowell's hockey team. And she was in an arena up in Erie when we played them. She went to the game and we beat, we upset them. We beat them in their building. Uh, and she was there. And now we obviously didn't meet. We didn't know each other then. Uh, and then we met at a meeting to help. Uh, do marketing and management of our hockey program, club program at Penn State. We became friends, uh, didn't date when we were undergrads, went out once when she was in grad school. And that, you know, was really kind of platonic, quite frankly, but we stayed in touch. And this is back before you could text and do Facebook and all that. Sure. We, we sent each other birthday cards. And, I remember know, those days. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 you know, we did snail mail, but we kept in touch. You know, she moved around, I moved around. And then uh, when I got the job back at uh, Penn State, I, as I remind her, she reached out to me. She called me up one day and said, what the heck are you doing back here? She read about me being named the coach in the paper, and that started the friendship back up. We started playing racquetball and hanging out more, and, you know, we were actually seeing different people at that time, but it was, you know, kind of only a matter of time before I started to realize, you know what? If I'm comparing the person I had been dating at that time to her, I want to be with her. And I, I, I worked pretty hard at it because she, uh, she kept saying that uh, she didn't want to go out with me because she wanted to wait till I uh, matured. And as I tell her nowadays, how's that working out? <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, I, I got to tell you right now, I'm, at, I'm back at that stage of my life since I'm back. I have found this new purpose. Yeah. And, and I want to, I want to, for anybody that's, you know, any of your listeners out there, look, you know, when I had the purpose, when I was a coach, when I had the purpose getting that arena built and getting the program up to Division One status, I was as focused and I was as passionate as you can't imagine. And when I didn't have a purpose in my life, those are the times when I wandered through the desert. Yeah. Uh, seriously. I mean, I, I – uh, and, and I, I think that when I think of – the where I am right now, I, I said this to a friend the other day uh, that I don't want to go to sleep at night because I don't want the day to end, and I can't wait to get back up the next morning and just pick up where I left off. Uh, I want to write. I, at first, I said this is the only book I'm ever going to write. Now I'm already decided I need to write a couple more. Uh, I'm going to make them subsets of pragmatic passion, you know, maybe one for student athletes, maybe one for coaches, maybe one for managers. Uh, I'm also uh, rebranding in a sense to do more work with, because when I first wrote this, I really did write it with high school and college students and their parents in mind. But I'm starting to realize that, you know, this this is something that can help anybody across genders, across ages you know, it doesn't, it really, anybody can benefit from this book. And I, and I want to do more and more with corporations. Um, and, but my, but I still, I got to tell you, I'm an educator at heart. 
And my, my goal is to, at some point when I'm retired and can actually financially retire, um, I want to be able to go into schools, both rural and inner city that maybe, you know, couldn't afford to bring me in and pay my speaking fees and do it pro bono. Uh, because I just want to help people. I want to help people that, you know, I, I, I want to give them what I didn't have. And that was that somebody would sit me down, uh, you know, uh, at school and say, all right, let's, let's talk a little bit more about what matters. And maybe it will inspire them. If they understand, begin with the end in mind, as Dr. Stephen Covey says, um, if they understand that doing well in your Spanish class in ninth grade or in your physics class in 11th grade or your math class in sixth grade, this, there's a reason for this guys and gals. And here it is at the end, you know, you're going to see yourself down at some career fair at some point, right? Yeah. And if we can, if we can be a, the best that we can be at these earlier ages, then hopefully it's going to help us, not make the real big mistake that happens. That, that's what I'm really trying to help young kids and their parents to avoid is sending the kid off to college when they're really not ready for it. Maybe they shouldn't even be going to college sure. at all. I was about to say, you know, they should either be going into the military or they they should be doing something working. Yep. They should be Vocation. in the workforce, yeah. or they should be going to vocational school. Um, you know, you know, you're sitting. You were talking, and we've we've kind of touched av- uh, education a couple times in yeah. this talk, and it's fascinating me because I'm not. I don't have an education background. I don't know. I, I, I'm not versed in the the academic side of of educators, but I do have a sense. Um, for right. how things are, and you I, went through it, and of course you've watched, I w- you've watched family members, yeah. you've watched nieces and nephews. Yep, um, you know you've got your own kids. Uh, that's and, right. And, and now it now you start to realize that you have a stake in this, and you need to have a voice in it. Yeah, right. Well, that's I guess I. So what I do is I use all of that experience that I do have, and there's an intuition there that that education needs to change in a fundamental way. And I think right now I trust that intuition. Now I'm not going to look at an educator and go, "Hey, I don't have any, I don't have any paper that says that I'm an educator." But I think you're wrong. Yeah. And they might be like, "Well, here's my piece of paper," and I'll be like, "Okay, but," and and <laughs> so my my intuition, I kind of trust on that right now. But I don't know how to fix it. But I do know that I think that, and I guess let me let me put it this way: one of, one of my favorite quotes is, um, every, "Everyone's a genius, but if if you measure a fish." By his ability to climb trees in a class full of monkeys, he will feel a failure. Yeah. The opposite, of course, true is that if you measure a monkey in a school of fish in the ocean, then it's the opposite. And 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 so, how do we? This is my thought. And you're talking about reaching kids and telling them, "Hey, this class is important, and this class is important," because later on, most of those kids are not going to get that message. They just have too many other things going. Right. Right. And, right. And all also. How important is that class now? And this is what this is my big question: is how does the future look, given what we see coming down the road with virtual reality, artificial well, general intelligence, I mean, everything that we know right now, and right. teach our kids? This is where I kind of feel where me and my wife talk, where we're in the dark. Like I think we're giving a foundation, at least morally. I think that's good. But what are we? What are they really learning that is going to matter if artificial general intelligence solves I problems? I think it's going to matter even more, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. Because I think what the artificial intelligence is actually going to do is it's going to start taking away the rote 
types of repetitive things, that's where it's really going to still be most prevalent in our lives. I think that humanity and being able to deal with people, there's going to be even more of a premium placed on that down the road. There's going to be more premium placed on our artistic and creative abilities down the road. Yeah. Because we've got machines now. And, and more opportunity. That's the thing. Instead of looking at it as, oh my gosh, robots are taking over the world. No, I think we we really do. Now, there, let's trust that there are certain people out there making sure that uh, the Terminator uh, never becomes reality. What is it, Skynet or yeah. whatever? You know, that, that and, and there's people out there that hopefully are keeping people on, you know, their their toes with that. There's but, probably some, but, but probably in other places not. Well, well, and I think that that it's that's where real leadership comes in. Yeah. As you know, if there are people out there that know this is happening, uh, to me, they have an obligation to point it out and and to expose where it might be being used for evil purposes. Yeah. Right? Well, or, if history is any judge, right, we know that eventually, as this uh, as we progress and gain progress in that, that. Somehow it will be used for good, and somehow it will be used for evil because it won't be one or the other. It won't be one or the other. Um, You're right. You mentioned earlier about the days when before there were texts. When you go around and you talk to so many people, this is one thing that I know that that me and my friends have all talked about. Because sometimes, and I feel almost like an old man when I say it, but I don't feel like an old man, particularly when I'm walking around. But sometimes I I, I think about where I was in say eighty seven. And I, and all that's happened since, and of course, I'm not a Luddite like yourself. I have adopted technology as much as anybody. Uh, but I do kind of look around sometimes and, and I go, what what the F just happened? <laughs> right? Because, wow. I mean, we absolutely, I, I one of my, that, that actually may be one of my top motivators for doing what we're doing right here, this show in the ready room, is it was... There's no earnest discussion. There's no civil discourse. It's getting worse. I feel like it will get worse. I don't know what your intuition is before it gets better and that we continue to stovepipe. This is one of those things, the ideas that I keep keying on is that we're stovepiping ever more and more. And so we can't reach across. And so that everyone, we, we already know that everyone is, is a complex set of, of uh, ideals, genes, memes, yep. all of these things that make somebody so incredibly complex as an individual. It has nothing to do with out, outside uh, appearances, um, all of those heuristics that they talk about that don't matter, right? But we, we seem to make those more important every single well, day. It, it, it's e- some, certain things are more easily measured than others. So we, we end up going down to kind of the lowest common denominator yeah. in some respects. It's, it's, it's an intellectually lazy path. Absolutely it, it is because what, 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 are we, what are we more interested in? Let's just get those kids through and get them a degree and get them graduated, right? Well, but what, did we teach them to learn? Did we teach them how to learn? Did we, more importantly and probably most importantly, did we teach them to love to learn? And I don't know that that's going on. I, I like to see uh, one of my former players, Dr. Mark Conchar. He, he's a professor, uh, uh, architectural engineering PhD. And he is, I, I hope I get this right, but for his company, Beatty Belfour, he is the chief innovation officer. And one of the things that he and his company are working on is the K through 12 mind shift. And the whole idea is to that's just fascinating. blow up 
the way we're because we're still teaching the same way we taught hundreds of years ago in the Gutenberg revolution. And yet here we are, we're living in the Google revolution. We have these tools available to us. Kids have the ability to do with virtual reality coming and it's coming. Um, instead of being able to look, you know, read about something, they can actually experience it. Yeah. And that ex experiential learning to me is what's exciting it's it's something to look forward to. I, I think of myself in the way I learned. I was not. I was hyper. I wasn't one of those kids that did well sitting behind a desk, having to hear you know and do rote things over and over again. That yeah. just wasn't me. I have. I am certainly more right-brained than left-brained, and most people would call me lame-brained. But you know, I'm uh, I'm trying my best. You know, to be a little bit more intentional about being more disciplined towards some of the things I do, but I am certainly a more creative person than I am a logical person, which is why it took effort for me to write this book. And, you know, it took uh, intention and deliberate effort to write a book about pragma being pragmatic yeah. when I am a guy who's all about passion. Yeah. I had a friend of mine once say, Joe, your Australian accent, Joe, baby. You're, you're, you're Mr. Passion. You're all about passion. You know, that's your brand. You are Mr. Passion. And I said, yeah, but I, here's the thing. I really believe that that alone wasn't enough for me. And it was this pragmatic piece. And it was this idea of educating and learning and experiencing that gave me the confidence and therefore the courage to go and do some things. I mean, lots of people talk about writing a book. Very few actually go out and do it. That's for sure. And that's uh, for damn sure. I'm 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 thrilled that I got it done. Uh, could it have been better? As one friend of mine, John Bacon, who wrote my foreword, said, "Joe, quit trying to write the book and just write a book. <laughs> Get it done." And it's, it goes back to the saying you said earlier that sometimes perfect can be the enemy of done. And uh, uh, there's going to be more books. There's going to be. I'm, I'm excited. I, I'm, I'm thinking that as you're talking about, you know, could it have been better? I'm just laughing to myself because I, what, what, I, I'm going to get the Stephen King quote right but uh, uh, wrong because he, he, uh, he said, hey, if, if you want to be a writer, just, just start putting words down. Yeah. Just do it because uh, what's going to happen is you're, you're, going to, you're going to put something out. It's not going to be exactly what yeah. you wanted. Uh, and then you're going to do it again. And they're going to do it again. He goes, I'm, I'm still learning to write is what he basically okay, so to. So let me tell you where, where one of the things I started writing a column every two weeks for statecollege.com. I started that yeah, back you, you in 2009. You mentioned that. Was that what you said in your text? You were like, hey, I got a, I got a deadline. The yeah. Deadline. I yes, was like, wow, yes. he must be writing stuff. Yeah. I still do it. And I got to tell you, it would have been easy to give that up, quite frankly. But it was the discipline of having that deadline and having to come up with a new topic, a yeah. new subject, and kind of put myself out there. And, you know, it's interesting because what I've learned is if I want to get the most likes, if that's my goal, if I want the most likes, all I got to do is write about something about Penn State football and something about my dog, Barkley. If I write about those two things, I, that's when I get hundreds and hundreds of, of Facebook likes. When I write about something a little more serious... I won't get nearly as many likes, but what's interesting is that my number of clicks, click-throughs, you know, like whatever that, you know, <laughs> metric is, 
actually goes up. And so what I know is people are reading it. They're still reading it. And maybe what they're not doing is saying, well, I don't know. I don't know that I want to admit that I kind of like that because yeah. it, it, that, that's, that's a problem with me. I, I, one that I wrote the, uh, a couple weeks ago was 10 little words. If it is to be, it is up to me. I, I wrote a column about that and it just, it, it just resonated with people and it got a lot more uh, likes than I would have expected it to because it was a, you know, basically self uh, assessment discussion. Yeah. And let's face it, a lot of people don't want to do that. Bart, it's, it's, I think we do a lousy job in the business world, in the corporate world, when we give people their annual evaluations, which, by the way, is bull, that you you should be evaluating them a lot more frequently than that. And there should be constant communication uh, between supervisors and, and the subordinates and managers and, and their staff. And you, you know this because in the, in the military world and in the athletic world, there's a lot more immediate feedback. We're used to that. And we're also used to getting it right between the eyes, what we need to hear yeah. when you're an athlete or when you're a coach or if you're in the military. Well, a lot of people out there are not used to that, so they don't hear what they need to hear. Well, why? Part of that is we've never trained them. We we don't do enough training on how to give a proper evaluation, sure. let alone train people. Here's how you should receive your annual evaluation. Mindfulness. <laughs> the problem, the problem with all of that is, of course, we can train. It, it's it's like leadership. The, the the Marine Corps says you can teach leadership, and you can, uh, you can teach people how to give an evaluation and to receive evaluation. But the personality differences are there, and they're they're no, no. undeniable. And you you still will have that problem that that comes from different people trying to relate on on on, on some a level things. where they're actually way Well that's all why over. this is such a blend of art and science. Yeah, that's and right. that's why I say that right in the beginning of the book. This is not an academic book. If you are looking for, you know, some type of a PhD dissertation, that's not what this book is. This book is much more anecdotal. It's uh, conversational. Uh, the best uh, I'd say one of the best compliments I've gotten about the book Two of my former players have said the same thing to me. Coach, I thought I, I felt when I was reading the book, I felt like I was sitting right next to you having a conversation yeah. with you. No, your voice that, definitely does come out in that I, book. I, yeah. I, and that's the way I wanted it yep. to be. My, my son even said to me, Dad, you know, your, your book's kind of easy to read. I said, why, thank you. <laughs> and he said, no, I mean, you know, like I was expecting it to be a little harder, you know, more science, you know, that sort of thing. I said, no, there's plenty of those books out there. Yeah. You can go to any Barnes and Noble, any bookshelf, any library where you can find the academic version of what I'm talking about there. But most people shy away from that because it intimidates them. When people are too pedantic and, and they're using... Yeah, they also... The, most people don't even know what the word pedantic means. I was going to say, and, uh, right and, there. And, and the point is, that's what it is. It's it's that you're so into the the, the weeds and you're, you're being so technical that the average person has no idea and cannot relate. Plus, there's a language that academia uses that is... Uh, uh, it's opaque almost by it's like on purpose as yeah. if to say, Hey, we, we have to talk up here because you know, we've got that paper. 
Uh, I think that there are many that that is a broad brushstroke, obviously, yeah. and I don't mean it to sound like all, but yeah, there is definitely that. Well, because side we of it. here's the problem. Like I'm okay with you saying it because. You know, we're we're trying to be open here. We're yeah. trying to be vulnerable. Right. You know, the only way you're going to make progress is admit that there's some progress that needs to be made yeah. in the first place. And you know, I I don't I'm not going to let somebody shout me down because I've seen it. I've lived it. I I worked in higher education. I've worked at a prep school. Uh, I've worked in the corporate world, and I've just I'm just an observer of people. I mean, that's what coaching. That's what we do, right? Yeah. We're, we're we're looking at things and saying, all right, I see how this is occurring. Uh, what can I do to help better it, improve it? And, you know, part, sometimes it's tactic, sometimes it's a strategy. Most times it takes both. And, you know, and then ultimately that satisfaction of seeing somebody either get over a certain hurdle, whether it's emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever it might be, you know, that's what gives me great satisfaction is to see those, especially, you know, we, we'd have kids that, you know, we knew we were taking a chance on academically. They were qualified, but barely, you know, and, and, you know, they did get in and then you go and see them just blossom, you know, once they're in the system and they get that structure and that camaraderie, and then they go on to do just amazing things. And that's that's still to me. I, I yeah, it's great that we won those championships. I will never ever look down. I mean, those those for people that have never won a team championship, I, I, I wish I could bottle it and, and give that feeling out to you every every so often. Not every day, it would overwhelm you. But that that feeling of winning a team championship if you've never felt it it's it's almost indescribable you know and it and it's got to be the same type of adrenaline rush when a mission is completed right that same and, and i'm not talking about just any mission i'm talking about your toughest one right where you know people's lives were on the line and you come back not only did everybody make it back you achieved your objective you know and i don't even want to begin to think compare what I did as a hockey coach to what you did in the in the on the battlefield and what you were doing in service of the country because I think it would be doing you an injustice um, well I squirm a little as you say that um, so I, I appreciate that but I, I do think there are and we did make a comparison a little bit in that sure. in that there is a mission there is a plan there right. is leadership there are the sub-leaders, the seniors on the team, the upperclassmen would be the guys that you're, you're expecting to lead the younger right, underclassmen. Right. And all of that comes together as you train uh, to, to, to achieve a mission. So I, I just think, I, I guess what I want to do, maybe I should clarify that is. Yeah. No, I, I know you're talking about the gravitas of the mission, I think. Absolutely. Well, okay, so Vance McCullough, one of my mentors. Yeah. Uh, Joe? You look a little nervous. This is before a national championship game one time. And I said, well, I, I am. He goes, you've got nothing to be nervous about. First of all, you've prepared these guys well. And secondly, you can't do anything about it right now other than give it your best shot. And he said, beside, this isn't pressure. Pressure is when you're defending a hill against a superior force of Viet Cong yeah. when your ammunition's running low. <laughs> yeah, that so, reminds me. I didn't bring the thing I wanted to show you afterwards, but I'll tell you about it when we're done here because okay. it's uh, it has to do with my dad, and I think you will 
anything uh, about your dad, as you know, yeah. uh, you know, I, well, I the still, fact that the fact that you were talking about uh, being on a hill and uh, fighting uh, in Vietnam is, is what brought it up for me. Well, he used to say, and he gave me, uh, you know, he, he paid for it out of his own pocket. We won a, a national championship one year, and he gave me a trophy that had didn't come from the hockey world. It came from my friend and my mentor. It just said, uh, Coach Batista, hill climber. And, you know, again, the average person can see that trophy sitting on my mantle in my house and have no idea yeah, what that yeah. means. And, you know, you know what it means, yes. and I know what it means. And, you know, he also uh, he had a sense of humor about him. Um, I, I just, like I said, I, I, every day I learned something uh, valuable from him. You know, Coach, when you're going through hell, just keep, keep going, going. <laughs> right? Said and that all the time. You know, and and just he had and that, the one that always makes me chuckle is the the one he tells a story about the Marine Corps officers. Uh, it was written on his evaluation that the only reason anyone would want to follow this individual is out of sheer curiosity. <laughs> and I I always laugh the, the about classic that. fit rep, uh, yeah. Well, that's and <laughs> that's that yeah. one of those 51% people that are just there. Well, maybe yeah, or right? I, and you know, that, I guess that's what I was going for earlier when we talked about that. Maybe maybe the 51% or even the 16% just aren't in the place that is going to allow them but they just haven't found it. And I guess, yeah. you know, when we talk about the future and, and, the, and, and technological innovation and how we're living, I really think we're living probably the most fascinating time in, the, mm. in world history right now. Uh, it, it, you know, the industrial revolution. The, but not if you listen to the media. Yeah. Right. And that's part of the well, problem. Well, it's not that. They just have this dim view of what's right. happening. And, right. and, and actually uh, the uh, stats, the data shows that we're uh, – humanity is at its best – point ever less but, wars but without even talking famine, about the yeah without right? even talking about the you know the the tragedy and the triumph of our world it it is the most fascinating time i think in world history and this is coming from a guy who you know i had i minored in history and i love looking at history and i, I the industrial revolution was incredibly uh world changing right it right. was an, an amazing time for humanity as people struggled to refine what they're going to do as the world looked different. Well, we are doing it's that coming. right now yeah, we're going through every it. day. And I feel – and that's why I kind of wonder, are we going to get better or worse? I, 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 the optimist in me says that eventually we're going to be much better. But I think in the near term, we're, we're going to be much worse. I, I feel and a because lot of my friends feel that we're in this civil cold war right now that is – at least in this country or – that is damaging um, long-term relationships with people that have known each other, and I I wonder how it's much. It's sad, of, isn't it? Yeah, well, very much so. And I wonder. I mean, you mentioned you know academia um, again. Going back to Jonathan Haidt, who who uh, is a member of the Heterodox Academy, trying to get thought diversity onto campuses. Yeah. You you you've been in higher education. It seems like that world has really has a problem with with understanding humanity at this point in terms of its its real diversity yeah which is not the the outer uh trappings of a person but the really? inner trappings uh, what are your thoughts on that i i couldn't agree more i i am so disappointed that what happens now is anytime somebody doesn't agree with you they pick up their ball and go home 
And it's well, how are we? Or they send you home. Or which they is send even you home. worse. Right, I right, think. absolutely. Because you can't play we, with us. We right. And and what? When did we go from? It used to be let's find win-win solutions, let's reach across the aisle, let's do what's right, let's 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 try to find a way. And and now it's I win, you lose, and and we're forced into this situation because of the way people think. And that's that, you know, I can't, I, I've always, to me, the best thing you could do is take the opposite person's approach. Uh, I saw this uh, professor did this in a class where they said, okay, you know, we got this group over here that believes A, we got this group that over here that, that believes B, um, everybody on the A side, you have the next 20 minutes to figure out why you're wrong and the B's are right and vice versa. And it made them walk in the other person's shoes. There was some empathy there. And now, it may not have changed their thinking at all, but at least there's a respect, okay? At yeah. least that now, now we can have common courtesy, mutual respect, have a discussion. You, we may still disagree, right? But that's okay as long as we're having civil discourse and allowing for the fact that, you know— Maybe I can come to a point where I can say, I'm wrong. Part of the mission statement of the Ready Room, and I did write a mission statement, is to improve civil discourse. I think it's a great mission because it's sad to me to see what has happened that we cannot even talk about politics. Yeah. We can't have a peaceful discussion about religion. You know, we can't have a, a discussion about racism, sexism, anything like that. Yeah. And 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 I really, you know, and hopefully this doesn't get me in any trouble, but I'm going to say it because I believe I should. Yeah. And that's, I, I'm tired of being felt like just because I'm a white male. Yeah. It's, I'm the enemy. Yes. I'm evil simply because I'm a white male, and yeah. that's not right. Yeah. How does how does that test my character as a person i don't care not one bit about what what whether what what your race your gender those sorts of things are i'm more interested in your character as a person and and so quit quit using any of that as the means to which you know if you're not if you're not winning your argument boom you throw down that card yes and all of a sudden you know what so what's going to happen is somebody like me is going to take a step back and say well i'm not going to get into that fight yeah I'm not even going to have that discussion. That's how we get these these tribes that are incredibly uh, resistant to anything other than what they think. I, I, you're absolutely right. Well, it's, and I, you know, just not, driving around New York City yesterday, the number of, you know, you look out there and there's, you know, the uh, V. Um, do you remember the movie? Uh, you know, and it's all about the resistance. Yeah. You know, join the resistance, yeah. and it's you know about yeah the movie um, V for Victory. No, no, no. This no, is uh, uh, the, the V for is it v v Vendetta? Maybe you know V is the the character with the mask. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, right, and 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 so it's like we're you know unless we're being totally anti-establishment. You know, you're not doing that. That's their idea of you know yeah. finding a purpose. Is you just have to disagree for the sake of disagreeing. Well, that, but that's not getting us anywhere. Yeah, there seems to be certain things. Certain things that you know everybody will say they they want discourse and 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 to be able to find common ground. But you you can't do that if certain ideas are so. Um, 
hated or or right or, or uh, there are certain things that you can't even say that to begin a conversation that seem rational to one side but are right. uh, absolutely um, you know the other side thinks that they're in some way offensive uh, so it's, it's well I, I got to tell you I uh, I've still to me one of the best lessons I've learned in in and and I'm not afraid to talk about my faith and I don't think anybody should be afraid yeah, no, why 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 should you so um, is the story of of the gentleman that walks in off the street and he's in a dirty robe long hair wearing sandals and he walks into the you know, prim and proper church, and he walks right up and just sits down in in a kind of a, you know, uh, seat, uh, takes his sandals off and sits right in front of the altar to listen to the, and people are aghast. You know, everybody's wearing their Sunday finest, and they can't believe this person did this. And then the one of the oldest elders in the church undoes his tie, takes off his jacket, takes off his shoes and socks, and goes and sits next to the person. That is where you have progress. Yeah. Right. And I always laugh too because if you think about it, if 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 Jesus were living, which one of those two people would he look like? The person in the suit and tie with the buffed shoes or the person that was wearing the robe, long hair and the sandals? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just and, a great story. The idea that hey, yeah, don't judge a book by its cover. That's right. Let me let me go and 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 sit with you and understand uh, yeah. what you are, what makes you tick, and and uh, yeah, the, the free exchange of ideas seems to be at, at risk in this in this uh, particular day uh, and, and, and age. I and think I don't. We need to do a better job, and I think by doing the podcast you're doing, that's one of the main reasons I'm it, here. It's going to help people start to understand that, and um, we we all have to get thicker skins yeah. you know this this idea right now we're you know we got people out there talking about microaggressions yeah. oh come on life's too short from my standpoint at some point you know it, it, it just sit sit and say you know th- this this offends me set the standards ahead of time and you know that that's i think you know something that we can do to prevent you know some things uh, you know but don't don't pick up your ball and go home yeah that's no right. one no one wins when you do that let's sit down let's learn from each other i i, I just uh, again I, I go back to it. it's not it's not picking up your ball and going home it's it's literally telling it's kicking the other person out and saying no we're, we're playing this game we make the rules you don't belong right right and, and, i would agree and i you know i i just i'm all about what you're talking about what has ever happened to just good old-fashioned debate and discussion yeah. and i think if uh you know one of the funniest things i, I remember hearing at a, at a conference from a colleague was he said look if you you got to have empathy and if uh if you don't understand somebody walk them out in their shoes if you still disagree with them you're a mile away from them and now you got a new pair of shoes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, and maybe maybe with that, we, we, we I don't know where we are time-wise. Oh, how yeah, we've... that's that's a that's a great place. Uh, you I, know. Well, Joe, I appreciate it, man. Oh, this has been you just know, so much we fun. Could, I, I could feel, I we feel could like talk I, forever. That's right. And, and I, you know, at the end of the day, I hope that what people are learning from this is how much both of us have a shared passion yes. for helping other people. Yeah. That's that's I, I when when they talk about living that dash, my dash, I wanted to simply say he cared and he cared enough to act on it. Yeah. You know, that that he that he, you know, and, and uh, if somebody says, I remember Joe, 
you know, ah, he could be a little crazy sometimes. Ah, he could be a little, but at the end of the day, Joe had a good heart and he cared about people and he cared about others. And, uh, you know, if, if that's what's said about me, then, then I'll, I'll feel like I've lived that joyful, meaningful, fulfilling, yeah. and purposeful. I don't life. even, I haven't written my epitaph, so I don't even yeah, know what it's no, supposed to sound like right now. Well, I'm a well, little listen, older than you. Uh, <laughs> listen, it, 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 it could come at any time. And I think that's part of uh, what we've kind of been talking about. It could come yeah. at any time. So I enjoy, enjoy what we have because yes. this is, this is it. Well, before we go, Joe, tell them, tell them where they can find you online and get the book. And yeah, uh, my website is pragmaticpassion.com. Yeah. And uh, if you want to reach out to me directly, just uh, it's Joe at PragmaticPassion.com. I do have uh, Instagram and I do have uh, Facebook. Uh, My my Instagram is at Coach Joe Batista. I do have a Twitter account, same thing. Um, And uh, if you go on to the website, uh, you'll see right on the landing page where you can order the book. And uh, I'll tell you what, for your listeners, uh, I'll... If you put this code in, PASSION5, you'll get a uh, $5 discount off the price of the book, and I'll personalize it. That's awesome. So, Well, uh, thank you. you go. Oh, hey, I, you know what? I, to me, it's, it's sharing. Uh, it's wanting to give back. Uh, you know, I, I'm a big believer in that, you know, that somebody has to care, and I learned that from my dad. Um, and, uh, and it's been reiterated in the lives of so many mentors, including your dad. And, uh, you know, I, I, I thank you for having me and having me given this opportunity to, to just, uh, have discussion and discourse and, uh, I love it. To this is what we do. Hopefully this we're helping, we're helping some people. Yeah. Well, listen guys, uh, go out, get the book. It's awesome. Uh, I, it totally changed my perspective at a time that I needed it. So please. And, uh, passion five at, uh, pragmatic passion.com. Yeah. So Joe, thank you again for being oh, on the ready room, Lord, brother. Thank you. I love you, man. You know <laughs> that. Okay. We'll do it again soon. I hope so. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us here today. We hope you enjoyed our conversation, and we're looking forward to bringing you more of the same in the near future with intriguing and inspirational guests from all walks of life. If you did like it and you want to join us again, please subscribe to The Ready Room and take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever it is you go to get your podcast on. You can find us online at readyroombrief.com. I'm your host, Richard Frederick, and I look forward to being with you next time in the Ready Room. Thank you.